for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a coup they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Yeah. 
All right, folks, back at the coalface again, and another another stream of consciousness that is the jihad side show. Oh, God. <laughs> I, uh, I pulled a... It's cold today, actually, and uh, I pulled a... What's the sweat? I don't know, whatever you call this, fleece out of the, uh, out of the wash. A dirty washing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, it was probably a bad idea if I want to be on camera. So uh, what are we going to be doing today? Well, obviously, there's been um, some big changes. I'm, look, I know uh, lots of people sending me links about uh, Trump and, um, of course, uh, RFK Jr. throwing his hat into the ring. Um, to me, none of that is new, so I don't really want to spend too much time on it or any time on it actually because we've got uh, a lot of other things uh, to focus on and to um, I, I want to get through well the news that I do think is of importance and relevance and of course uh, the neuroscience because that is stacking up and there's been some uh, well in interesting developments I think and um, yeah I you know that's primarily why i'm here and so uh we should uh i should focus my energies onto that but i want to i want to say thank you to I, I received many a message uh yesterday um after the stream just saying thank you um i i would like to say thank you to those that it was a very long stream very detailed um thank you to charles and joanna of course for jumping in um, later on in the in the stream and uh, it, it is a um, I, I, as we said yesterday I think it's a battle that needs to be had obviously Jay does not want to discuss he won't debate his points um, in public against uh, those that would question it and like I say I would I would always say those that would um, refuse to debate you have to question them and isn't Yasser Arafat communist? Um, I don't know. Uh, just a, it's just a funny clip as far as I'm concerned. And it just sort of riffs with uh, me calling this the Jihad Science Show. So um, I'm not a particular fan of Yasser Arafat. I, I, I've heard rumours that he was into diddling little kids. But um, it is it is what it is. I guess it's just funny, folks. That's all. Nothing else. It's about about having a bit of a giraffe and all that. Uh, and yes, as saying in the chat there, please hit the thumbs up and uh, in this algorithm, we're doing we're doing well on Rumble, and I would like to try to keep the momentum up. And those little uh, little um, nudges to the algorithm are. Uh, are useful so uh, um yes click click away uh let's see guys i've seen your commie turban me how dare you sex evading bleak um just not on all right uh let's uh let's delve into what it is that we're going to do uh a quick reminder uh as i saw this coming as i saw it in the uh meme roll at the beginning of course Covert moral bio enhancement, and uh, it's not covert anymore, folks. It's not covert. Hang on, just one second. Just try, big boy. Please just try not to bump daddy's. Hey, listen. Try not to bump daddy's microphone. Hey. Try to keep close to the table. Yes. Yes. Say yes. 
Good point. All right. Um, it's it's their last day of vacation today, and uh, I feel I feel like a right git that the my other kids can get to play, but my eldest boy just when daddy's working, uh, I don't I don't let him in here. So the uh, I've, I'll probably be softening the tone of the language that I usually use, and just just. Heads up, folks. Right, so if you wandered in here, wondered who I am, uh, that's me, Dr. Kevin McGann. I am a real scientist, got all metrics and shit. You can find it on ResearchGate. You can go to PubMed. You can find me all over the internet for all the, uh, shall I put it, uh, <laughs> it'll bore you to death. It'll bore you to death unless you're, unless you're a basal ganglia geek and, um, but if you need something to help you to fall asleep, uh, you can go find all my work and uh, read those publications, which got me the metrics and uh, allows me to uh, speak with some some gravitas as to the uh, current state of things. So, yes, ResearchGate, uh, my name, Dr. Kevin McCann, and, of course, housekeeping, inspection time um, in this uh, information war. Uh, we need a FOB forward operating base and that is McCannDojo.com and there you can find all the important links where uh, I can be reached on social media. Um, um, maybe I removed my email from there. but um, the And of course, the most important thing, most important thing, the reason that I'm able to do these streams to be able to... Um, build momentum in networks so we can have people like Charles and Joanna and all these very, very smart, capable people coming and explaining and breaking down all this science into a language that uh, lickspittles can understand. Layman lickspittles. Um, so it's because of that, uh, those, those donos, links, sorry, those donation links, I'm able to stay in the fight. So Patreon, if you are going to give a donut. Doc really loves the WTYL.live tip jar. And you don't even have to press the link, folks. Use that QR code in the bottom corner. In the bottom corner. Use the tools of your oppressors against them. What have Romans ever done for us? And uh, that will take you straight to, and you can send a donut. I will keep an eye on it. I'll keep an eye on the chat. Um, I try to of course answer questions as i see them in the chat if i miss something uh, just keep typing it and hope that i see see it and um of, and especially if you send a dono i will um <laughs> i will uh, make a uh, extra bit of effort to answer your your question um yes rated pg13 today um Nick, that's that's all I can say. But uh, I do have. I look, look, man. I I have a what should I say potty mouth. Um, always have done. And it, look, it's. I get it. Some people don't like it, but I know that other people do. Right. That's the, there's a reason why that there's a few thousand people to come and watch every day, right? And for that it's uh, it's just the way if there are other really boring streams you can go and watch if you uh, if your ears are a little sensitive or your fifis get hurt when the uh, yes fauci dot monster please daf b3ta that's the that's the link um 
that'll take you that'll take you to the uh, payment processing and there is actually minimal minimal overhead in that uh in that link so whereas the others patreon stream fags etc gay pal and you know what um i might just just bear with no i won't do that it just disrupt the flow but i was thinking of dropping a uh, paypal an actual paypal link because the paypal link that's on there is kind of convoluted to to drop a dono and i understand why people um, don't want to use it and of course on mccann dojo you can join there's the link that will take you to the discord and if you would like to get an email when i go live uh register to be notified and of course you can watch the stream on there and tax evading bleak it's not working um by refreshing that um i know he was working on it in the background and oh yeah there is the player icon let's see if it's working joe you can yes it is uh shout out to tax evading bleak that's why that's why folks <laughs> A lot of uh, a lot of your support goes uh, to uh, to our back end team, and uh, by that back end team, I mean uh, tax evading bleak, uh, not uh, not our beloved Nick. Right, let's. Uh, sorry, Nick, <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. Uh, let's move on somewhat and let's uh, dive into. Oh no, of course, uh, last bit of housekeeping. Um, what do I do with all that filthy lucre that gets thrown at me? Um, like I say, uh, a lot goes to uh, keeping the blicks on the plantation fed with Mackie D's. And of course, the uh, the streaming video on demand platform. Um, I'm, I'm going to speak to Simon about getting a different uh, front end for it. I don't like the Peertube front end we, uh, we we can stick another wrapper on there i want us i want us to look different from other peer tube instances but peer tube is very very functional and um that's why we've gone to use it and you know, i i liked the the previous setup we had the osp something like that it looked it looked really cool um but it just didn't the functionality just wasn't there for what we needed. Right, uh, let's get into the uh, current event of the day. So, of course, uh, more war and the uh, more appeals to bring NATO into Ukraine. That's really going to jive well with the Ruskies. NATO's position is that Ukraine will become a member of the alliance. And that position has not changed. Uh, but we know that uh, there are at least two things we need to address uh, to make that possible. Um, one is that we need to ensure that Ukraine prevails as a sovereign independent nation. Of course, any meaningful discussion about Ukraine as a member of the alliance uh, has to be based on that Ukraine is a democratic independent nation in, uh, in Europe. And that's exactly what is now challenged uh, or threatened. What's with, what's with the sideways uh, stand there? And uh, th this just feels all so contrived and re rehearsed to me. Fuck these gaffers! Ah, the, the boy can't hear that. So I can uh, I can use the Prophet Burgle button a lot to uh, <laughs> release release my uh, Tourettism when it comes to uh, coprolalia. Oh, you can't see his face, right? Because I'm I'm on top of it, but. Um, yeah, there's, he's sort of doing a odd, odd posture there, talking to the microphone and then appealing to the camera. It's all theatrics and a show, folks. All to uh, 
like psychologically nudge you into uh, accepting their premises, which is uh, ever larger expansion of NATO, more war, more grist for the corporate death machine mill. Um, don't fall for it. All right. So there's there's quite a bit of uh, Ukraine type news. So. Uh, there you go, Americans. Uh, another 2.6 billion of your dollar is being announced to go to Ukraine to extend the wall and <laughs> no overtures to peace, nothing to try to end the misery for the poor schlubs who are caught in the crossfire of these great, great game moves, I guess. And, you know, it's... Personally, I find it disgusting. Now, to me, I look a little small in the corner. Is that is that a little better? Yeah, I shrank it yesterday. Of, um, why did I shrink it? I can't remember. But I shrank it yesterday. But hopefully, I look a little bigger on the screen. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Daphne says, that NATO dude's a massive cockwomble. Uh, yeah, that, I can say that in front of kids. I don't think he's, he, he'll quite grasp what that is. And uh, I don't think they've ever even seen the wombles. Oh, that was a, those were the days. Those were the days when the Wombles came on TV. That was always a, that was always a great moment. I mean, back then we had uh, black and white TV. <laughs> and you just, like, you had, like, these heavy-duty buttons, right? Uh, and back then there would be, like, four, four or five of them, right? One, two, three, and then there'd be one that'd be, like, orcs. <laughs> And you'd have to gunk, chunk, uh, push it in. So it clicked in to get your your propaganda of the day. All right. So moving on from there, we've got, uh, what's this from Telegram? Oh, yes, this was cool. Uh, so, uh, I picked this up off, uh, where did I pick it off? Of course, uh, Ryan's, Ryan Dawson's anti-neocon blog, but uh, Telegram. Join that Telegram. It's very, very informative. And uh, this is a great clip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Pelosi, that's a very good place for you in the depths of hell. Because for some reason, you have a very bad obsession of getting us into war. Uh, whoever that person is, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. There's a there's a slight well different take on that. Having spoken to Charles, who was there in Iraq um, looking for WMDs, they did find the occasional chemical um, mortar round, etc. And but in Charles' words, there was it was there was nothing worth invading for, and that's that's literal boots on the ground WMD specialist who was, as we've seen, is a literal uh, bulldog once he gets uh, his teeth into a particular problem. And, yeah, you know, the the individual ex uh, exercising their First Amendment rights here is, I would say, eh, you know, technically they're right. They're, but there were, there were the odd uh, munitions laying around. 
know, what do we what do we know from uh, Mark, his tonics work, that perhaps those mobile labs, which are a thing, folks, uh, got loaded into those Antonov transport planes, uh, shipped off to Ukraine, where they've uh, stepped up the biowarfare programs just there, and we're we're reaping the uh, benefits of that at the moment. I want to know is what what sad bunch of cretins would go there to watch Nancy Pelosi? Maybe this is a bit of an older clip, right? Because hasn't hasn't she resigned? Um, but anyway, I agree with the sentiment of these people. Uh, something something needs to well, at least act as a speed bump to the uh, the war profiteers. And look, man, I am against uh, the military or anything like that. What I'm, what I'm against is uh, senseless wars for profiteering or uh, endless zog wars for a particular group that, uh, how should we say, uh, revel, revel in blood sacrifice. Uh, let's see. Nick says California is own big time, big defense, big chem, R&D and academic networks. Yeah, yeah, look, I, I know. And the the issue is that California, actually having lived there, is quite nice. <laughs> if it wasn't for all the loony tunes that lived there, the coastline is uh, is amazing. It's uh, it's one of the wonders of this planet. But um, yeah, as a as a state, it's uh, it's how should we say very confused. I think is the word I'll use. That's my voice sitting next to me. All right, uh, let's move on. What did I have next? Oh, media is too big to view in Telegram. What was this clip? Oh, it was just blown up vehicles. It doesn't matter. Now, I wanted to get to this. Um, this was, of course, Colonel Douglas McGregor. And he's been a voice of sanity 
uh, in these last few months. And again, I'm I'm inclined, you know, it's just my predisposition, but I'm inclined to listen to people who have gone through the military, right, and come out the other side and, and you know, they've been disabused of the more, uh, as you say, it's it's you know when you're young you sort of and i know i've been there and funnily enough i tried i tried to sign up multiple times i i did i tried in uh in the u.s um i had the wrong visa it wouldn't let me join and then when i tried to sign up in the uk after i'd done my phd because i'd done my postdoc in israel they wouldn't let me join then either <laughs> You know what? Uh, thank Allah for uh, for putting those obstacles in the way because I'm I'm glad I'm glad I didn't uh, knowing what I know now. But anyway, let's let's listen to um, Colonel McGregor and him. Well, the, the the discussion is about Bakhmut, but I found this particular section uh, quite interesting. Well, you know, essentially convert themselves into corpses by going in there. Oh, sorry, let me just slow that down for you, folks. Um, we just um, interviewed uh, Jack Devine just about a half an hour ago, and he had some comments about the uh, Russians and uh, Bakhmut that either will affect your blood pressure or cause you to have some fun with him. Here's what he said. In the last two months, you were telling me these great wizards of... <laughs> it looks like some fucking cartoon character. Dilbert? Is that, is that who I'm thinking? What cartoon character is that a spitting image of? Um, yeah, Dilbert, maybe. She's just like got the square square head and no neck. <laughs> That's Dilbert, right? All right. Uh, isn't this, uh, he, he used to be part of the CIA, I want to say. Um, anyway. Of the war, we're saying the Russians have the 300,000-man army and they're going to roll right over Ukraine. Here we are, 150,000 troops went in, and they may or may not have taken a town. You can you can hear the uh, the delight in his voice. You can can you catch that? I don't know if you can catch that, but I certainly catch it. I mean, he is having a hard time. This is not victory. This anybody that thinks he's won something, God bless you. But I mean, I, I don't know how I could hold my head and invade a country and move a few kilometers. You know, so I I think he's in trouble. I think he's in serious trouble. That's why there's a fight between the regular military and, and uh, the Wagner group. He, of course, to whom he refers is President Putin. Well, Judge, what do you want me to say? I think uh, Jack is entertaining uh, to listen to, but I think he's got a severe problem with cranial rectal defilade. <laughs> so I, you know, thanks, Jack, for your interest in national defense. The other thing I would say is, and this is something else that people aren't paying attention to, but they should right now, the bridges over the Dnieper, up at Zaborizhia and further north, these are major bridges as you can drive you know, 18-wheelers, tanks, anything you want across these bridges over that river. They're all intact. Mm. And uh, the Russian citizenry has asked several times, why don't you destroy these and stop those Ukrainians from crossing that river? Well, the Ukrainians aren't crossing the river in very great strength anymore because they've killed most of them. They're trying to put together this big counterattack. We'll see what comes of it. I have serious doubts that it's going to amount to much. I think it's just going to get a lot of people killed. So why haven't they destroyed those bridges, Judge? Is it Jack Devine's perception that, well, you know, the Russians just aren't very bright. They haven't done their battlefield assessment. They, they're they not acting. Well, I don't agree with that. I think the Russians plan to use those bridges. 
themselves. I yeah. mean, what prompted what prompted the ridiculous comments uh, from Jack was my inquiry about Bakhmut falling. And first he denied it, and then he said he had heard the rumors that it fell, and then he said it's just one little town. Well, you and I and, and the thousands that watch us when you're on this show looked at the map and saw how central and how critical uh, that town is. And now you've told us uh, that the Russian strategy has not only been to secure the town, but to use it as, as, as the jaws of death, if I may, for the Ukrainian uh, troops that were foolish enough to be flooded in, into those jaws. Well, you- yeah, hang on, Judge. Uh, a lot of those troops, I don't think they had a choice in the matter. <laughs> that was, uh, as should we say, our oligarch predator class deciding that. One little town, massive cope. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, well put, uh, Atensai. Ukrainian commanders, we know, have begged uh, Zelensky to let them get out. They described it exactly as it is, a meat grinder. They were just losing people. We've, we've been through these discussions. The average lifespan for someone new to the front is, what, four hours? This is insane. <laughs> so I think he... Is that true? <laughs> Jesus, that's uh, that's World War One fighter pilot territory. <laughs> Four hours? Holy shit. Dang. The Ukrainians knew that. The, the, the larger issue, and I, I, you know, Jack is uh, basically giving you the, the standard narrative, and that's fine. Right. And uh, everybody's doing that in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. Every once in a while, a little bit of truth creeps in. But the bottom line is that no one is moving a lot anywhere until the mud goes away. And, you know, you try to explain to Americans that this stuff is, is like slogging your way through 10 feet of slime that sticks everything, that stops everything. Americans can't even begin to imagine it. The only place I, I've seen in, in the United States we come close to it is in southern Texas, where you have something they call caliche. It's a real thick uh, earth that becomes mud and does something similar. But even it pales before what we're dealing with. In, uh, is, this, is this unique to Ukraine? And is this possibly what makes the Ukraine earth dirt so fertile for a growing wheat no i think so i think when you have you're talking about what 10 to 15 meters deep in most places this black earth it's very rich that will grow anything right. Right. throw anything in it it grows when um the ukrainian um no right, that that's enough of that so atensi is asking me to play something Let's see what this is uh Мої які вивозять наших 200-х і 300-х. І вони сказали, що не підготовлений боєць, от за їх рейтингом живе в Бахмуті. I don't understand it, bro. Zimrovsky. Zimrovsky, what's that? Well, anyway, uh, the real fly, it's account I do follow. But Ukrainian media, average lifespan uh, of frontline fighter in Bakhmut is four hours. Jesus. Four hours. I mean, you don't even have time to uh, <laughs> get your kit all nice, your bunk set up, or maybe maybe four hours. That might be enough to do that, and then boom, you're uh, you're being wheeled out in a body bag. All right, let's uh, let's move on, and uh, yeah, I want to uh, point to some tweets from Yuri Dagin. Um, this is something I think we should. Uh, keep an eye on uh, so well just to summarize quickly so the ebola from i want to say 2021 right 
it's genetic distance when there's so we you should all be aware now that there's a sort of mutational clock that we can predict change molecular changes in viruses etc and that sort of gives you a uh, window into how uh, how long it's been circulating and the, uh, the 2021 uh, emergence of uh, Ebola um, had no changes and would appear somewhat to be um, frozen in time and in the current environment okay we have to be very very skeptical about the labs that are handling these agents okay and look i'm presuming that they must have well we know that they um they have these facilities in africa to collect samples etc and um send them off to more sophisticated uh, labs for analysis and what do we what do we see here is this evidence again of another lab escape and i think considering the evidence that's built up over the last few years that these virologists are just playing with fire all the all the time that they're collecting these samples and there's a human being in the loop in the best case in the best case that they they drop a ebendorf tube or they you know they they get a little tear in their glove and they don't notice or anything this shit happens all the time in laboratories okay it's it it's just an axiom that it that it happens and the at what point at what point do we say do we do we need to i i, I get it you need some surveillance right but do we, we definitely definitely don't need the manipulation studies that i think have um helped fuel the military industrial complex and their biowarfare countermeasure boondoggle that we're all dealing with so i might skip the next tab because it's twiv and i really dislike them and i know we've got to get into a long complex paper but this was this was a good article and this is us right to know and again i think this is emily cop yeah um emily cop has done brilliant brilliant work um us right to know have done brilliant work and <laughs> I'll just go off the headline. U.S. officials, criticism of Wuhan Institute of Virology called out actions that we ourselves are doing. And, um, what's it? Was it? There's a bit in here that uh, U.S. intelligence community and health officials opposed publishing information about Wuhan Institute of Virology because it could raise questions about research and labs supported by U.S. according to an email obtained by uh us right to know officials at the office of the director of national intelligence department of health and human services and the state department voiced concerns that publicly questioning research of the wuhan lab, lab complex called out actions that we ourselves are doing and demanded access that we ourselves would never provide the email states and this is direct in, in direct relation to the point that charles was talking about yesterday 
Okay, there's some shit that just don't get published, especially, especially when it involves, quote unquote, uh, weapons of war. And I don't know. We as a public have a right to, in my mind, we have a right to know what they are doing, and we have a right to uh, put as many, many obstacles into their path to to stop these programs, which have just proliferated massively after uh, the 9-11, 2001 attacks, the anthrax attacks. And... Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trope on this channel now, but um, here's, here's the article. Please go read it. And like I say, I'm a big, big fan of US Right to Know and what Emily and... Oh, what's the other guy's name? God, now. Um, there's another dude uh, who's, who's US right to know. Someone, someone to put his name in the chat, but he's another good follow on Twitter. Right, I've got another Telegram link here. What's this? Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll save this for another culture war battle. Um, but it popped up whilst I was reading. But more on the, um, the, the potential impact on births that seems highly correlated with vaccine rollout. Um, so Jiki says, this is not an effect of the rollout of the COVID mRNA vaccine to healthcare workers in Leeds, followed by the general population. Nope. 11 months miscarriage rate above the two standard deviation control line. It must be climate change. And again, this, it, this is some, oh, maybe I can find the last thing that we had. Where, um, Yes, this one. Is that open? Yeah. Right. Um, Twenty-five percent rise in spontaneous abortions. Now, again, um, it's. <laughs> Are we? Will we get to the bottom of this? And will they turn around and point to the fact that we gene transfected billions of people with? You know, Toxic, toxic products, and not only that. Now, of course, there's the plasmid issue as well, and this, this we're getting a cluster of data now around impact on births and fertility, etc. It's it's very very disturbing trend, and I I just pray to God that it it, it reverses. But in in light of the black pills dropped by Nick and uh, the <laughs> Council of uh, what is it called? Council of Rome, but <laughs> the Neo Malthusians, they they have it in for you. And I saw other tweets as well. World Health Organization saying that infertility has reached its highest level ever recorded, and I don't know some. I want to say it was like 17, 18% it's reached of couples. And, you know, again, how much, how much of that is due to miscited? And maybe it wasn't miscited. Maybe it was a very deliberate uh, assault on the reproductive health of human beings. Remember, folks, those at the tippy top think there's too many of you. You lick spittles with your desire to have barbecue outside with your family and burgers and ribs etc how dare you how very dare you 
That's for your betters and masters. Now get back in your kill box, peon! Don't mourn those babies that we killed either. It was for your health. For the good of the people in the country. All right. Um, let's see. How is it disturbing? They've been saying depopulation is the plan for years and years now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that. I mean, you know, the, the, the question was, you know, did, did these people really really believe that I, I you know this this was how my mind was working and you know the kissinger networks and their club of rome staff council of foreign relations and all their again it's a sort of neo-malthusian type thinking you know they it prior to the last three years i i where did i sort of place that in the in the well you know think tanks come up with all kinds of bullshit and bollocks right and <laughs> i keep forgetting my boys next to me and he's got headphones on um but the yes we know they wanted to do this and they want to see reductions in population they want to see and this is why they push the green agenda and they target children and adolescents with their environmental fear porn etc yes all all the signals are there but um until <laughs> until the last three years i like i say i would i would have put it in the context of uh think tank <laughs> my reflex is to swear i'm trying not to think think tank guff i guess and the have babies folks i mean look you can spend an inordinate amount of time and worry pump up your cortisol thinking about what these bastards this predator class and for sure there is this predator class looking to feed off you right <laughs> they're vampires um but there, there are solutions right Go out, find a nice girl, boy, make babies, okay? Um, I wish I, I wish I had more. I really do, okay? I got three. I lost one, but um, I would, I would, I would have more. I mean, the missus has a say in it too, and she's, um, she's not too keen on the idea. And I think, I think we're just past the. Uh, that point where you can have kids now anyway so um but i, I if, given given the chance again i would i would have had kids far earlier and far far more of them were i able to and my that would be my advice to you go out <laughs> listen listen to the bible it tells you right in the in genesis go forth and multiply do that do that and you know the when you get kids the rat race and the I don't know the bullshit that they sell you for uh, the things that you think you want just pale into comparison uh, into insignificance when when you've got those uh, little people running around and yeah again if I had my if I had my time again I would have um, I would have had 10 kids I'd have tried to emulate my uh, my great grandparents let's see I tried to keep up with the chat du -du -du -du. Uh, like the green flu from the division, the guy that engineered the virus died from it. I don't know what that means. Green flu? 
from the division. I don't know. How's it? Yeah, I did that. Uh, hashtag infertility. Hashtag trust plan. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, let's move on, and we're going to get to uh, the science. So yeah, I did the again another data point looking that there's a far far bigger problem than they're letting on to, and let's get to this. So to remind everyone, we started the week looking at the effect of SARS on dopaminergic neurons and dopaminergic neurons name implies makes dopamine dopamine is important for motivation movement when it goes away you get Parkinson's and there was this data published in JAMA which shows that post COVID there has been a significant drop in people's movement Right, they're, they're just tracking whatever I get in your phone. Right, you you get a step tracker. Right, that's just you know I don't. I guess it's an accelerometer based, and it just can tell when you're the the cadence of walking. I guess, and that has dropped off. And you know, if I was if I took that chart and transplanted it to experimental session where I was trying to make a Parkinsonian monkey with uh, specific neurotoxins targeting dopamine, I, I, I would be thinking that I, I, my job was done. Another, another one done to, a, done to a perfect T. Another little Parkinson monkey that I can look, of, uh, look into his brain and grab, grab all that lovely data from. And this is, this is very, very concerning. Um, it that, the reflex will be, oh, it's lockdowns. Well, no, I don't think it's, it doesn't, lockdowns didn't cover all that period. And we have to, we have to accept the fact that SARS has a serious impact on the central nervous system. And the paper we're going to look at today is looking at proteomic expression in cerebral spinal fluid in primates who have been exposed to SARS, okay? And so you want to, as neuroscientists, neurologists, etc., you, you want to, you, you're looking for these types of signals all the time to account for the outward expression of symptoms that you associate with particular conditions, right? And in this case, the Parkinsonism. Right, the the inability to move, the loss of motivation, and, you know, from from that particular route of investigation, neuroscience sort of come to understand that neuropsychiatric disorders are intimately linked with dopamine or dopamine levels, etc. And, and these are these are things that are well established in the scientific literature now. No doubt I'll get some cretin <laughs> contact me and say, Parkinson's is not real. It's <laughs> that's, that's literally how I see the state of things at the moment. But um, it, it, it is what it is. So just I'll, I'll put the link for this. Oh, of course, it's. Um, where's the share PDF? No. <laughs> you uh, you know what yes big boy oh congratulations daddy's working no big boy okay uh, 
uh, let's see. Eminem says, same. I didn't like kids and part of having them until I was 34. I have a boy and girl. I'm 45 and too old to risk another. Wish I'd started earlier. Yes, yes. Um, again, I, I was... Look, man. You know, I get it. You you want to have some some degree of material comfort, etc. But <laughs> there are paupers of this planet that spit out loads of kids, and they just live in one one mud hut, right? Um, <laughs> do your duty for the human race. I was someone says I ain't having no pesky kids. Well, you, you you've got no right to be complaining then about the the state of things and the terrible trajectory that we're on, right? You got you got to have skin in the game, bro. All right, uh, uh, I can't. Maybe I can get the DOI at the top. Let's do this. All right, just goddamn. What is it? Adobe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give me a DOI number. There you go. There's the DOI number. If you're interested, you can find the paper there. Um, I think I put it in the Discord. Um, but there. All right. Let's. Uh, so yeah, there's the paper. Again, if you want to look for the dopamine study, it's there. And oh yes, before we get to the monkeys, I want to do this. So I don't. I, I don't have to spend a lot of time on this paper, but this, again, feeds into the premise that I've been pushing right from the beginning of this show, this stream, which is that the there is this assault onto the central nervous system. And me personally, after viewing all the evidence for three years, I think this was uh, deliberately tuned that way. It is the ultimate incapacitation agent, okay? You'll get over uh, achy joints and uh, sore muscles when you're febrile, right? But uh, when you're when you're all gummed up in your head with brain fog, ah, that's uh, that's taking it to the next level. And of course, militaries and transnational oligarch vampires are going to be interested in it because you're less likely to get off your uh, your couch. <laughs> My couch is full of holes. <laughs> Um, let's likely to get off your broken old couch and pick up your pitchfork and demand what are your God-given rights, okay? So, uh, let's see, Phoenix says, Tom Clancy's Division was a game where a radical created smallpox variola chimera, aka dollar flu, engineering it in cyberspace and produced it with a protein 3D printer. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, I thought ketamine was the ultimate incapacitation agent. It's too short-lasting. <laughs> These, the, uh, the the Klaus Schwabs of this world and the people that you don't even know the names of, right, need it to be long-term. Long-term and to send you on a trajectory towards dementia, basically. And now, and again, you've got you've to look very, very... Well, for a jaundiced eye, the idea that they're moving towards these euthanasia pods. <laughs> because how, how are they, they going to work this? Well, they'll work you to death in their Rube Goldberg debt traps for your existence whilst you try to, try to 
to your biological imperative, which is to send your genes into the future with your with with children. Okay, and then then they'll make you reverse mortgage yourself as as you develop these dementia, and then. And then when you're too difficult to look after, they'll uh, put you into the euthanasia pods. And uh, I forgot, what's the, what's the name of that? They don't cremate you now. They liquefy you. It's got, an, it's got a name. Uh, what do they call that process? Anyway, they just, <laughs> they liquefy you and then spread you on the fields. It's literal, it's literal the matrix now. All right, so this, this study, we can just look at the abstract. The effects of SARS-CoV-2 infection on the cognitive function of patients with pre-existing dementia, right? And this is, again, I've tried to hammer this point home over three years. These are, these are where you can see that they're sentinel type systems, right, that, that will give you a warning that something is uh, amiss in the environment. So, cognitive postscripts of COVID-19, codenamed as cognitive COVID or brain fog, characterized by multi-domain cognitive impairments, are now being reckoned as the most devastating sequelae of COVID-19. Uh, slash exposure to the spike protein through gene transfection. However, the impact on the already demented brain, <laughs> these people aren't English, right? Um, I wouldn't have used demented uh, in an article like that. But anyway, that's just me. Uh, has not been studied. Uh, so we aim to assess the cognitive function and neuroimaging following SARS-CoV-2 infection patients with pre-existing dementia, 14 COVID-19 survivors with pre-existing dementia, four with Alzheimer's disease, five with vascular dementia, three with Parkinson's disease dementia, and two with behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia. And remember, folks, what have I tried to teach you over these years? That essentially these are prion-like disorders. They're disorders of protein misfolding. Now, how does that, why does the protein misfold, etc.? These are long, long or deep questions that we're still trying to fully understand. But pre-energic mechanisms are what underlie these diseases. And we know that the spike protein and also various peptides of the virus itself are highly amyloidogenic. Amyloidogenic meaning that they're forming amyloids, or they're just one type of uh, protein misfolding. And they're... they're disease progression are atypical compared to viral or bacterial diseases. All these patients had detailed cognitive and neuroimaging evaluations within three months before suffering from COVID-19 and one year later. Of the 14 patients, 10 required hospitalization, all developed or in sorry, increased white matter hyperintensities that mimicked multiple sclerosis and small vessel disease. And again, this links back to the, you know, what is one of the primary pathologies of exposure to the spike protein, which is coagulopathy, okay? SARS is not the cold, common cold. <laughs> Those viruses do not cause systemic disseminated coagulopathies, especially these tough to deal with amyloidogenic clots. 
There was a significant increase in fatigue and depression. Uh, the mean frontal assessment battery and Adambrook's cognitive examination scores also significantly worsened. The rapid progression of dementia, the addition of further impairments, deterioration of cognitive abilities, and the increase or new appearance of white matter lesions burden suggests that previously compromised brains have little defense to withstand a new insult, i.e. second hit like infection, dysregulated immune response, and inflammation. Brain fog is an ambiguous terminology without specific attribution to the spectrum of post-COVID-19 cognitive sequelae. We propose a new co code name, i.e. fade in memory, i.e. fatigue, decreased fluency, attention deficit, depression, executive dysfunction, slowed information processing speed, and subcortical memory impairment. Now, uh, th there's no figures or anything, or very minimal figures in this paper, just this one on a table. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but here is the, uh, the link, should you wish to read this paper. And um, let's move on. It's looking very much like an Indian paper. Uh, Bangor Institute of Neurosciences. West, but yeah, it's India, 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 Madrid, Spain. But you know, great, great that this st this stuff is being it isn't well. <laughs> let's let's rephrase that. It's very important for the people population at large that this information keeps coming to the public's consciousness. Okay, but we need to understand these mechanisms and we need to get to the bottom of the fact that someone or some group realized that they were able to weaponize these particular processes. And you do not have to get acute respiratory distress to develop the cognitive abnormalities. Okay, that's been established in the literature now for years. Uh, let's see. I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to keep the, uh, jabs at K26R, uh, genotypes to a minimum whilst the, uh, child is, uh, next to me. All right. Uh, smashing on lames wants me to, oh, yes, uh, I did promise, um, a, say this the other day um you, you have to forgive me for if i don't if you ask me something and i haven't got back to it, it's because I, I just get wrapped up in so much stuff that I, I forget and you know speaking of which um uh brew baker wanted to do a stream with me and i need to get back to him um just to uh well, what, what, what are we going to talk about um faith faith in um, the as a as a tool for being able to ride these high pressure situations where literally again you're being predated on. So this one's saying. Yes, so COVID zombie alert. <laughs> Impulse control disorders, folks. Impulse control disorders. You heard it here first. And COVID zombie. <laughs> I, I nailed that one. Oh. <laughs> you 
They're being watched by a lot of people right now, live. I understand, but like, my thing is why are you like, I'm not, I ain't had nothing to do with it. You're, you're, you're not even, you're trash. Why would I record you? Say something else trash while I'm not getting out your head. Say something else. Call me trash again. You'll see what it really be like in LA. You want to lose your job? You feel me? You feel me? You want to lose your job? Bitch, I don't work here. Okay. I don't work here. Okay. What are you saying? Why are you recording me? I'm not. You're, you're right there. Me? You're right there. Uh, erase that shit. Okay. How about that? How about that? Okay. You little bitch. There he is, folks. Boom. <laughs> oh, man, we had some fun at the beginning of the pandemic with that. Um, <laughs> there it is. The spit in the face. <laughs> I'm going to pepper spray you right now. I'm going to pepper spray you because you did that. You fucking bitch. You spit me. She spit me on my face right now. She spit in my face. <laughs> I have blood in my face. Okay. She spit me on my face. She spit me on my face. Face, face. She spit me on my face right now. She spit in my face. This is great. She spit in my face. She spit in my face. This is great. Who did this? This is brilliant. I'm not going to play it all, but. <laughs> I wish I could subscribe. I don't know. I, don't, I refuse to make a YouTube account. <laughs> uh, Phoenix says, I've always wondered how likely that a virus could be engineered and created using a specialized 3D printer. Um, look, <laughs> it's, it's, your average individual is going to struggle to come up with the tools and techniques necessary to make a plasmid for a disease or multiple plasmids to make uh, a gain of function entity. But it's well within, it, it's not science fiction. Um, it's, it's being done as we speak in all these BSL-4 laboratories that are dotted around the planet. It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't need like a protein 3D printer. You need, you need to be able to string together the genetic code that you desire and then have an expression system um, express that um, genetic material. That's it. And there, there, you, there you get your gain of function. <laughs> this is where Ku is wrong. Concentrating something and getting gain of fury is gain of function. Okay. All right. Uh, let's, let's move on. Let's get into the uh, monkey study so look proteomics is a technique that has blossomed in the especially last 10 years i want to say and it's something that's you know it's outside my domain of expertise okay but what it what it essentially does is it's just looking for which proteins are being expressed 
Okay, and basically you take a control sample. In, in this case, we're going to be looking at cerebral spinal fluid, and the you take a normal, healthy sample and you compare it to uh, disease samples, and there you can get an idea of which proteins are being um, yeah that, that are a response to pathogen exposure. Okay, so. Here's the study. Cerebral spinal fluid protein markers indicate neurodamage in SARS-CoV-2 infected non-human primates. And um, with, if you look on WTYL Live, there's a lecture by, um, get the, the name, but um, from this group, I want to say, and they go through a lot of uh, their data, their anatomical data. Um, and we've we've looked at it previously, but this is the first time that we've uh, had inklings of how the CSF responds. So, um, and you know, I've got my own biases with respect to neuroscience, and I'm I'm a big believer in using using primates, right? <laughs> you know, I know some people are going to clutch their pearls at that, but um, if you don't use primates, folks, they'll use you. Okay, it's that it's that simple. And the the humble monkey was a was a barrier of protection. Uh, do, 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 do. All right. Uh, so highlights: severe neurological complications with mild or asymptomatic infections. Let that sink in. Okay. Severe neurological complications with mild or asymptomatic infections. CSF proteome changes correspond to bronchial viral abundance. CSF proteome alterations are linked with neurodegenerative pathways. Again, I think uh, the dopamine story that we've been looking at this week. Dysregulated proteins mapped to human atlas to evaluate potential brain effects. Nice. CSF protein changes suggest biomarkers for risk of blood-brain barrier breaches. Okay. Uh, so do I, do I, yeah, we'll just, um, I'm reading through this. This is, if you're new here, this is how I do the science. I don't, prepare a slide deck and point through it. I go through, I, I make a point of looking at the title, maybe glance through the abstract, think if it's worth reading, and then I read it fresh and try to give my thoughts on it, okay? It's a long-winded process, but people seem to find it useful. It's a learning uh, process, and, and, you know, I learn stuff as well, and it's good, it's good that you can see someone who's um, professionally qualified in that area, coming up against stuff where, well, you know, I need to, I need to, I don't quite understand what this means. Let's dig into it and and see see where it takes us. And I'm pretty sure the fact that it's proteomics and um, <laughs> I'm dreading that it, they're going to be doing mass spectrometry, etc., which is, you know, I I get what mass spec is, but I've never I've never hands on used one. Okay, we were. I was looking to do it with uh, these waxing samples, etc. But you know, it was expensive, and I don't think it was well. Particularly after the German group had done their analysis, I didn't. I didn't think it was worth raising the the money for. 
All right. So neurological manifestations are among the most frequently reported complications of COVID-19 uh, slash the uh, vaccines as well. However, given the paucity of tissue samples and the highly infectious nature, nature of the etiologic agent of COVID-19, we have limited information to understand the neuropathogenesis of COVID-19. Therefore, to better understand the impact of COVID-19 on the brain, we use mass spectrometry based proteomics with the data independent acquisition mode to investigate cerebral spinal fluid proteins collected from two different non-human primates, rhesus macaque and African green monkeys wonderful that they're using two different uh, species of monkey as well that's great as for me as a primate neuroscientist that's uh, that's a very very solid move on their on their behalf okay because i can i can tell you from um, making parkinsonian models uh, using monkeys there's a difference between a rhesus macaque and an african green monkey right and that's there's always the criticism Rhesus macaques are more common uh, lab platform, but the African green monkey, or the so the criticism against rhesus macaques is that they do not develop resting tremor, right? And that's one of the indicative hallmarks of Parkinsonism when you go to the clinic that you sit there and you've got a a shake in your you know your extremities, particularly your hands, and the, it's called pill rolling tremor, right? So the, the hand sort of moves like this and the thumb sort of slides along the finger a little bit, right? Pill rolling, they call it. Um, and the rhesus macaque doesn't do that, but the African green monkey does. Um, now, <laughs> African green monkey, uh, you can't, it doesn't really, I don't know if you can tell on the camera, right? But you can, if you can see, my little finger droops, right? An African green monkey basically took the end of my finger off. Um, and that was, that was the first year I was doing my PhD. <laughs> you fucker. It was the last day I was working with him. And, and it's like he knew. <laughs> he knew his time was up, right? And the, as I was, you have to sort of, guide the monkey into a chair and you, they have like a collar on and you um, slide him in and lock the collar. And, you know, you have to... If, if the monkey's being re resistant to your handling, you have to get your hand... You have to get better leverage, so you have to move closer to the pole where the pole connects to the collar so you can get him in quicker. And... As I had my hand closer to him, right, he managed to grab the cuff of the glove I was wearing and pulled my hand. And I felt him sort of bite me. And then I was like, oh, he fucking nipped me the little. <laughs> but then it's, um, um, my focus is on getting the, uh, the monkey locked, right, because he's, He's between the the cage and the chair, and if you let a monkey go, all all hell breaks loose. And I get him locked in, and um, the <laughs> I looked at, and my 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 glove was filled with blood. I was like, oh fuck! And I I I sort of took the glove off. And then the end of my finger just dropped off. <laughs> it was hanging on by the sort of the tissue on the on this side of the the finger, right on the palm side of the finger. And uh, 
funnily enough, it was in um, it was in France in the summer season, strike season. Right. And so the hospital, I was working in a hospital, right? Hospital Salpetriere in Paris, famous, well famous hospital where uh, Gilles de la Tourette was based, right? The, that's, that's where it was first classified as a sort of neurological disease. Funnily enough, he got shot by a Tourette's patient. <laughs> One of those odd factoids for you. And the. <laughs> so. You know, you, there's a SOP when you get bitten, etc. And you know, my my PI is sort of <laughs> trying to hold me up, right? While while you're washing, you're supposed to wash any bites for like 15 minutes, right? <laughs> Literally, you know, it's high pressure water basically being poured onto my hand out of a tap. Right? <laughs> Literally, a amputation of my finger, and then and then we try to get help. And the the hospital being closed, there was, or the emergency departments being closed was just there was there was no one around. And at the at the same time, they have to do they have to do this. They want to get samples from the wound to see if I've been exposed to so um, monkey herpes B virus is a concern right and so you you separate old world monkeys from new world monkeys because herpes b virus is lethal to them and it can kill humans as well and so they're, they're, they're literally I could, I'm, I'm i'm like walking around with like a you know i'm holding supporting my arm and there's like a, and they're saying and they're saying to me keep the wound open keep the wound open right and so i've <laughs> i've got this I don't know, wad of uh, gauze and everything that I'm holding there. And they're trying to get a, a, someone to take a, a, a swab sample from the wound to see if, I, if, if I'd been exposed. And, of course, the monkey would have got checked as well, etc. And that, there was no one, no one around. And so they're, they're, people are trying to sort of make calls to friends to try to get someone and it was the truck i remember being walked and it was like on the other side of the hospital to get to the tropical diseases where there was some dude who, who literally stuck a swab <laughs> into the wound and god it was it was fucking painful man <laughs> fucking painful and there was just no no way to get any pain relief right and so they're they're trying to get me or they're trying to find a hospital that can deal with the the issue and um they they put a iv drip in me and it was an iv drip essentially of paracetamol or acetaminophen for american listeners and then there was no ambulances, nothing. And then we had to drive. <laughs> well, it was like half an hour, 40 minutes to a hospital that was open. So like when, when the medical system goes on strike, right, they try to make sure that there's some, some hospital that will take emergencies. And we, we get to the fucking hospital, man, and the, the, the people were just flowing out the door. Right, because everyone's trying to get into this, this this one hospital, and I'm sitting there, and and thankfully, thankfully, because of you know connections from 
Salpetria and what have you. They got me in that day. And I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm sitting there all this time. And like I say, they, they won't, you're not, you won't stitch together animal bites, right? So they, um, they, they took me into the operating theater and, you know, but this time I was sort of delirious with um, pain and <laughs> whatnot. And they were like, we're going to nerve block your arm and then we're going to... Basically, they had to st stitch together the tendons so that the, so that the finger could be reattached, I guess. And I was like, okay, okay. And... And so they put like a surgical screen between yourself and then they put the Novocaine into your brachial nerve. And like, yeah, you're, you're, you don't feel pain, right, as such. But I could feel them sort of, you can feel the momentum of them sort of moving your, your arm around as they're, as they're positioning it. And I was just like, wow, wow, wow. And my in this shitty French that I had, I was like, a red, a red, a red. <laughs> I was like, anesthesia, right? Just, I was like, knock me out, knock me out. I don't, I, I can't, I can't handle it anymore. Just knock me out and then, and then wake me up. <laughs> After you stitch the fuck, well, they couldn't stitch the fuck back on. They stitched the tendons together. And then basically they put like a, I had to have like a cast on the, underneath the finger and then they would they would wrap it basically so i had you would sort of wrap it to the other finger and then and then it just took fucking weeks and months to heal and i can remember i would there was one time i went to the hospital right because it said animal bites and so they infection is just part of the the deal right and this this nurse was um well she had to sort of scoop into the wound <laughs> clean it out and i remember just dropping to my knees with just like it just reflex i was like ah <laughs> <laughs> and well, yeah, that's my monkey bite story. But uh, yeah, African green monkey did that to me. And <laughs> not a not a fan of those rhesus macaques. Are you can make friends with the rhesus macaques. African green monkeys just got a foul temperament for some reason. <laughs> Kev got put in an arm lock by a monkey. Well, it wasn't particularly an arm lock. It was just uh, it was just gloves, <laughs> rubber gloves. It was just, it was the elastic of it, right, that, that did it. And so, you know, I was, well, I would, after then, I would, uh, you know, if any part where it was sort of shared, I would obviously have the lab equipment that you would wear. But once once I was in the room with the monkey, fuck that, I would take the gloves off, man. <laughs> Okay. And because of the thing is, you're doing a lot of stuff around their head, right? And so they'll, of course, they'll try and swipe you and stuff. And I, I would, I would just rather take the, the scratches that the monkey would give than um, risk, risk him being able to grab a glove again. So, um, anyway, 
That's my story. All right, let's get let's get on with this. So, rhesus macaques, green monkeys, for the neurologic effects of infunction, uh, infection. These monkeys exhibited minimal to mild pulmonary pathology, but moderate to severe central nervous system pathology. Our results indicated that CSF proteam changes after initial resolution corresponded with bronchial virus abundance during early affection and revealed substantial differences between the infected non-human primates and their age-matched uninfected controls, suggesting these differences could reflect altered secretions of CNS factors in response to SARS-CoV-2-induced neuropathology. We also observed the infected animals exhibited highly scattered data distributions compared to their corresponding controls, indicating the heterogeneity of the CSF proteome change and the host response to the viral infection. Dysregulated CSF proteins were preferentially enriched in functional pathways associated with progressive neurodegenerative disorders, hemostasis and innate immune responses that could influence neuroinflammatory responses following COVID-19. Again, what have I been saying from the beginning, folks? That's where the weapon is being aimed at. They're trying to make you Parkinsonian. They're trying to make you have Alzheimer's. It's, it's, all, it's all about brain inflammation, protein misfolding, and these are long, long-term conditions and are essentially irreversible. Uh. <laughs> Palace says sounds almost as painful as renting a car in France on a Sunday. Yeah, I know that pain, bro. <laughs> this was worse. Uh, use gloves. Yeah, look, the, the, all those, all those. You, you can get like gauntlet gloves that you could wear. That was basic bite-proof gloves, right? They're sort of chain steel, like chain mail gloves right um but the the problem yeah I, I suppose i could have been wearing those but look, they're uncomfortable they're bulky and the problem the problem with the chainmail ones were the pole it's difficult because the pole is metal and the gloves are metal the the pole could slide very easily right so i tended not to use those and look, I, I, it was after then that I would um, try to train the monkey. Like I say, I would treat it like a like you would uh, your pet dog, right? And I I I got so good at it that I could just I could bring the monkey out by hand after you know after a few years of practice, right? And I would walk them to the chair and then they would they would get in and like I say I don't think I could I would ever try to do that with an African green monkey but a rhesus monkey yes you could do that and it's particularly if you got them young enough and you made friends with them and you would give them treats etc and, and and that's that's how I tried to treat these monkeys because unlike these sort of studies where they're doing uh, pathogen exposure my studies were very long, right? You would have a monkey with a chamber on his head for years and years and years, right? So better better to be on good terms with the the monkey, right? Rather than every experiment being a fight. That's for those for those thinking, well, I don't I don't think, well, I don't know, man. Maybe after SARS, you're going to see a increase in primate 
studies as they they've they've got to try and work this shit out. All right, so let's see. Mapping these dysregulated proteins to the human brain protein atlas found that they tended to be enriched in brain regions that exhibit more frequent injury following COVID-19. It therefore appears reasonable to speculate that such CSF protein changes could serve as signatures for neurological injury, identify important regulatory pathways in this process, and potentially reveal therapeutic targets to prevent or attenuate the development of neurological injuries following covid 19. Um, let's get into the paper. Well, maybe a the graphical abstract. Can we zoom in on that? So let's see. Now, um, what this would appear to be focusing on is that you're getting clots, thrombus formation, right? And again, that that falls into these unusual clots that emerge with not only SARS, but exposure to the gene transfection technologies. Uh, you get bleeding, hypoxia, neuronal degeneration, CNSL death, uh, complement cascades, dysregulated pathways, yada, 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 CSF, their mass spec, and then <laughs> these weird volcano plots that they do um, that just essentially double dutch to me all right so individuals infected with SARS-CoV-2 may remain asymptomatic or develop mild to severe COVID-19 mild cases can prevent with fever cough and or shortness of breath while individuals with severe disease may develop labored breathing pneumonia and rapidly progressing lung injury COVID-19 was thus initially considered to primarily produce respiratory pathology which could progress to induce life-threatening systemic pathology in severe cases however Mounting evidence now indicates that systemic pathology is not limited to severe disease. SARS-CoV-2-related neurological manifestations in particular have been widely reported and can vary in severity from headaches, dizziness and altered sense of taste and smell that often occur early after infection to more serious and delayed neurological complications that can include protracted delirium. Oh, I can tell you about that protracted delirium, all right. Seizures and meningoencephalitis. Chronic cognitive impairment is more common in symptomatic COVID-19 patients who require hospitalization, hospitalization, but is also observed in patients with milder or asymptomatic cases. Studies designed to elucidate the molecular and immunologic mechanisms responsible for these cognitive dysfunctions are underway, but many observational clinical studies suggest these neurological manifestations may be at least partly due to systemic inflammation that modulates neuroinflammatory responses that involve the activation of glial cells. So mass spectrometry advances have contributed to an improved understanding of the underlying molecular dynamics. Now, let me just see if we can find proteomics. Let's see if we can find a short little clip um, which will act as an introduction. Uh, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah, they're all going to be very long. Um, there we go. Here's a two-minute video that we can play just, just so people comprehend the technique or have at least some understanding of mass spectrometry and how it relates to proteomics.
Genomic discoveries frequently take the headlines, providing crucial insights into the risk factors and basic components involved in diseases, aiding the accelerated development in genomic techniques from slow, costly sequencing to rapid, accessible technologies. Proteomics, on the other hand, provides a greater insight into complex biological processes of disease for several reasons, including the following facts. Multiple protein variants can be translated from a single gene. Post-translational modifications vastly increase proteomic diversity. <laughs> you remember uh, Bimbo Bailey and him saying, oh, how many proteins versus how many genes are there? And he just, he just failed to realize that there is this translation process which can lead to more proteins than you would you would have genes it's such a thick plank man and most importantly our genomics provides insight into lifetimes but uh, genes and proteins they're all fake and gay too probably <laughs> disease risk proteomics delivers real-time measurements revealing changes in protein profiles correlating with current health status Studying the proteome reveals changes in health status that can help diagnose disease and discover therapeutics. Proteomic discoveries require tools that reveal a complete picture of the proteome. And yet, until now, technologies for protein analysis and detection have not enjoyed the rapid development towards cheaper, faster, and more precise technologies observed in genomics. Most protein assays rely on polyclonal antibodies, which have variable specificity and begin to exhibit cross-reactivity as PLEX is increased. These antibody-based assays only reveal a fraction of the complex story proteins have to tell. In many labs, mass spectrometry is utilized in protein assay workflows. While the technique has developed in function and can be versatile in its proteomic applications, for instance, native mass spectrometry, which analyzes proteins in their in vivo natural state, the effort required to generate a thorough screen of a large number of proteins is tremendous. With these limitations in mind, new technologies have emerged. Platforms that rely on highly specific and sensitive modified DNA aptamers, enabling the detection of thousands more proteins at a greater dynamic range. These new aptamer-based assay platforms expand the range of information that can be gleaned from a single experiment, already enabling researchers to capture signatures of aging, analyze heart failure risk in clinical trials, and identify potential drug targets for kidney disease, dementia, and more. To learn more about aptamer-based assay platforms and proteomic analyses, check out our InFocus on advanced... Uh, that didn't really give us much. Uh, let's, let's try something else. Um, on a mass spectrometry. Let's, let's just do this quickly. This video is going to cover proteomics, which is fairly similar in content to understanding RNA-seq or DROP-seq or any of the other large-scale methods that we have discussed so far. So this video is really going to be a fairly short overview of how proteomics is different from those and what the key points are to understand. So, so let's just talk about one key difference. We just talked about how RNA-seq and proteomics, the pipeline is very similar, and it is. But one key difference to keep in mind is that the technology we're using instead of next generation sequencing is now mass spectrometry. And in this technology, basically the idea is that you are separating ions based on their mass and their charge. And so this is a simple diagram here of what a mass spectrometer looks like. Your sample is going to enter and it's basically gonna be deflected by the magnet. And the amount of deflection is going to be inversely proportional to its mass over charge ratio. And that allows us to identify what that particle is. 
And so once we have the deflections, they are sort of plotted on this graph, this kind of graph, where we have our atomic mass, or usually for biology, m over z ratio, and you have the relative abundance. And so this gives you a abundance calculation, which is a quantity calculation, and a specific type of protein calculation. Um, yeah, her voice is uh, not that endearing, but um, she's doing a good job of explaining the principles behind mass spectrometry. So, nut up, white lung calculation. So you get both what proteins Valley are present and <laughs> quantitatively how much is there. And that's really all you need to be able to figure out what is the balance of protein in a cell and how is it changing. So your peaks are going to be the isotopes or types of protein that are present, and your height is going to be the abundance, and that's how you interpret this graph. So this is a graph for zirconia, and we can see that, for example, zirconia 90 is the most abundant because but it's you know the what tallest, this is playing. but that there are five different isotopes or forms of zircon that are naturally occurring and that we can see in different abundances in nature. So this is meant to be a simple example to illustrate how mass spec can give you results. And this is really what I would focus on for understanding it. You don't need to understand the physics details of what's going on here, but you do need to understand that your abundance is measured by how high the peak is and isotopes by how many there are. So if we move on and look at this in actual biological samples rather than zircon, you can see that what we've talked about is mostly represented on this diagram. So we have our sample, which can be cultures or tissues. We extract our protein right here. And then we're going to digest and form polypeptides right here. And we're going to analyze those by mass spectrometry. And as I talked about, you have this M over Z ratio on your X axis, and then your percent abundance on your Y axis. When you compare two MS spectra to each other, you get what's called an MS-MS plot, and that reflects the relative abundance of one sample over the other, rather than the raw abundance ratio. And then you're able to analyze your data, and you're able to identify genes that you might be interested in pursuing. So a key extension of the idea of being able to do mass spec is that sometimes when to do mass spec on a specific group of proteins, that is defined by the group of proteins that binds to another protein. So for example, there are many, many protein interactions in the cell. So let's say that I have notch one, which is a protein in the cell. And I know that notch one binds to X and to Y and to Z and to W. These are all proteins that it binds to. And I wanna know that between DMSO and TNZ, how is X changing? So what's going on with these proteins across these conditions? But I wanna first specifically isolate those proteins that bind only to notch and then look at those proteins and how they're changing. So this might be useful if you wanted to understand what the effect is of notch binding. Okay, so you've all got your uh, YouTube degree in mass spectrometry, so now we can uh, press on. So. Mass spectrometry advances have contributed to an improved understanding of the end. Didn't I read that? Uh, I think I did. Let's see. Maybe not. 
so mass spectrometry advances have contributed to improve understanding of the underlying molecular mechanisms involved in neurodegenerative disorders. CSF is frequently used as a target example in neuroproteomics since it can be collected using much less invasive procedures with lower risk than those required to obtain brain tissue biopsies and can contain proteins secreted by all central nervous system cell types and regions. Unlike tissue biopsies, which may be subject to sampling bias, despite uh, sorry, despite growing concern about the neurological complications of COVID-19, few studies have investigated changes in neuroinflammatory markers in CSF from COVID-19 patients versus non-COVID controls, which could provide greater insight into acute chronic neurological responses following infection. Now, um, what are they talking about with ease of collection? So <laughs> if you want a brain biopsy, you have to wait till someone's going in for a surgical procedure, something like deep brain stimulation. And what they'll do is where the trajectory of the PBS probe is going to be placed, they'll go in and take a tissue punch, take out a little sample and... Um, hope hope that you don't stroke out <laughs> and they do it and so often you will um uh, you'll have to sign releases etc that you agree to let them take biopsies etc um but with a if you want to do csf you just do essentially a spinal tap and you'll sort of lay the individual down on their side and you get a lumbar puncture needle um find the <laughs> space between the vertebrae you'll stick that needle in and uh, out will come all that beautiful uh, CSF and um, not that I've ever had an epidural but um, <laughs> I've, I've heard it's bloody painful and uh, can result in um, chronic chronic back issues anyway all right so that aside uh, did it we did that, did that. Uh, Non-human primates have proven to be useful models for host responses to coronaviruses and have previously been used to investigate the pathology of SARS and MERS infections. More recently, African green monkeys and rhesus macaques have been reported to develop lung pathology characteristic of COVID-19 within days after SARS-CoV-2 infection. SARS-CoV-2 replication within different subpopulation of nematocytes were seen in both the upper and lower respiratory tract and changes in different immune cell subsets in the lung during the peak infection have also been found. Additional studies of SARS-CoV-2 infected, so RMs and AGMs is just rhesus macaques and African green monkeys. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna use the acronym now. Have detected significant neurological injury that may provide insight into the neuropathological consequences of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Here we analyze changes in the CSF proteome as a measure of potential changes in the brains of SARS-CoV-2 infected RMs and AGMs. The Data Independent Acquisition Mass Spectrometry (DIAMS) approach used in this study detected significant proteomic alterations in the CSF of SARS-CoV-2 infected primates versus their age-matched controls. Uh, so IRB approval. Uh, let's have a look at their experimental design. So a total of 12 primates, including six Indian origin rhesus macaques, ages 13 to 21. So these would be aged macaques and six African green monkeys, Caribbean origin, approximately 16 to 17 years of age, were included in this study. Four of the four rhesus macaques and four of the AGMs were infected with SARS-CoV-2 strain 
that's the Washington strain. We looked at that yesterday by inoculation or by aerosol exposure to mimic multi-route exposure. There you go. Uh, virus, uh, virus deniers. They did, uh, they did aerosol exposure. Uh, most infected animals survived to the study endpoint at 24 to 28 days post-infection, but African green monkey one and African green monkey two reached humane endpoints at eight and 22 days post-infection, respectively. The establishment of infection was demonstrated by the detection of SARS-CoV-2 nucleocapsid mRNA in nasal swab within the first week of exposure. 2RM and 2AGM were used as aged-matched mock-infected controls for the study. Details of the housing and pathogen-free breeding colony, viral exposure routes, platforming units, time with euthanasia, SARS-CoV-2 RNA detection, and subsequent neuropathologies in the infected animals were described previously. 14 and 16. Let me just, I want to just see these papers. I think we looked at them before. Why? What's? How come the link to? Yeah, it's not. Fuck <laughs> you! All right, what was it? Fourteen and sixteen. Uh, 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 acute respiratory. Oh, gee. That one. New to me, or well, not new to me? I'm unfamiliar with that one. Google Scholar, give me a link to the papers. God damn it! All right, well, so much for so much for doing that. <laughs> I'll, I'll dig them out later. We'll maybe take a look at them in another in another stream. Uh, two of the RMs and two of the AGMs were, yeah, we did that. All animals were tested and found negative for SARS-CoV-2 antibody and virus prior to experimental infection. All biological collections were made under anesthesia. Whole blood was collected by venipuncture into vacutainers containing K3-EDTA and plasma recovered after centrifugation. Aseptic CSF collection was acquired anti-mortem from all animals through the cisterna magna. Now, cisterna magna, that's like, it's a base of your skull, I want to say. Um, yeah, um, I'm just trying to think. I've, n I've never heard of this approach in monkeys, how you would, um, how you would do it. So... I mean, I, I presume it's like a epidural, but um, I'm just trying to think for a monkey. And I mean, you just do that by hand. I mean, basic, basically, you would you would have to get you would have to go sort of like through through and up into the skull. Yeah. That's that's strange. Uh, it's 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 odd for me anyway. But um, I guess they did what they did. I guess that's why you use monkeys, folks. 
Uh, let's see. For mass spec, the control and infected biological replicates were run in technical triplicates during DIA acquisition, and each infected biological replicate was compared to the controls. All infected animals from each species were not grouped together because of their individual variation and heterogeneity. It's further discussed in the results. To generate the spectral library for DIA peptide detection, all sample digests of the control RM and AGM and infected RM and AGM groups were separately pooled to produce four peptide samples. And subtracted, uh, subjected to strong cation exchange chromatography fractionation as described below. Uh, da, 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 protein extraction. I think we can um, say <laughs> so a lot of these methods are. Um, I'm, I, I've never done them. So, and I've, like I said, I've never done mass spec. Um, is the LC MSMS acquisition? So that's just mass spec. Okay. Uh, I'm hoping we can get away from these methods quickly. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yes, immunohistochemistry, tissue imaging. Quantification of pulmonary and CNS pathology. So, yeah, how are, they, how are they checking if they're infected? So sections of each of the right lung lobes upper, middle, lower, and intermediate were scored using separate machine learning algorithms to recognize fluid and cellular information. These algorithms were trained and checked for accuracy by a veterinary pathologist. Scores were assigned based on percentage of lung affected as follows. Fluid, inflammation, yada, 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 scores. Multiple CNS regions, including sectional sections of the frontal, parietal, and occipital and temporal lobes, basal ganglia, cerebellum, and brainstem were assessed and assigned a histopathological score based on the frequency and severity of neuroinflammation associated cell phenotype, morphology, microglial and astrocyte, morphological changes, perivascular cuffs, and nodular lesions. Expressions of uh, MHC is uh, uh, histone compatibility complex molecule HLA-DR, I'm not sure neuronal injury and or death as suggested by the cleaved caspase free positivity as reported previously so caspase um, is an indicator of apoptosis uh, do ELISA right, so results CSF was collected via puncture of the cisterna magnet, we just read that yes, yes, yes to collected specimens were evaluated for COVID-19 associated changes in the CSF protein. All virus exposed animals developed infection and were evaluated for heterogeneous clinical, pathological and neuropathological outcomes as described in previous studies. SARS-CoV-2 RNA was detected in nasal and pharyngeal swab and bronchial brush samples of all virus exposed NHPs within seven days post-exposure and all animals survived to the 28th a study endpoint, well, except the two African green monkeys, obviously. Uh, all other infected NHPs exhibited either no apparent symptoms or mild symptoms, including intermittent cough and mild fever. CNS pathology grades of the AGMs were more severe in the AGM versus RM groups, with most AGMs, but only one RM developing severe CNS pathology. However, no virus was detected in the CSF of any of the RMs or AGMs by an ultrasensitive CRISPR assay for SARS-CoV-2 RNA. Minimal virus was detected in necropsy brain tissue assessed by several methods. To evaluate functional changes that may contribute to and or be a consequence of CNS pathology observed in these animals, we next performed an untargeted proteomics analysis, analysis on CSF samples. 
CSF samples were collected from RMs and AGMs and trypsin digested prior to analysis via DIAMS to achieve deep proteome coverage. Pooled samples were fractionated by SCX and analyzed by DDA to first build a spectral library. Subsequently, each sample was analyzed. You know what? I have to force figures available to this. Bigger one, please. Um, okay, so there's just their methods and proteins identified. Control and then outrank. So mm, seems oh, here we see a difference in one African green monkey. So we have to get to what C is. So an overview and Terrible writing. Oh, I'll have to just go from the beginning. Overview of the study design, non-human primate cohorts, and proteomic workflow. CSF collected from four rhesus macaques and four AGM infected with SARS-CoV-2. Yes, we know all this. First, pooled CSF samples were fractionated by strong cation exchange chromatography for deep proteome coverage using a data-dependent acquisition mode to construct an RM AGM spectral library. Individual CSF samples were then analyzed by a data independent acquisition mode and the results were analyzed using spectral libraries for each species followed by subsequent downstream analysis b and c okay that's this is b c and number of identified proteins passing a one percent fdr threshold in technical replicates of each ram agm sf sample d and e okay like I say, but these, I, I guess they're just relative, relative measures of the proteins of interest. And so, like you, I'm finding my way through these, what, what, you know, what seems to me like, or what I would consider very hardcore biochemical methods. Okay. So, that's figure one. All right. Uh, also, I've lost my place now. This, please go. Okay. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Did that, did that. Evaluate functional changes. We did that, we did that. And of course, um, I don't think it's important to look at all these spectral libraries for in the supplementary data, so we'll skip that. Um, and basically, we've just gone through this first figure, so I think we can move forwards. So, proteomic variation associated with COVID-19 pathophysiology. So, here, hopefully, will be the meat and potatoes of this paper. 
So PCA plots, uh, PCA meaning principal component analysis generated for the RM and AGM CSF proteomics data revealed substantial differences between the infected NHPs and their age-matched uninfected controls, suggesting these differences could reflect altered secretion of CNS factors in response to SARS-CoV-2-induced neuropathology, although the direction of these PCA differences differed in these two groups. Two and uh, principal again what what is principal component analysis it's it's a way of collapsing high dimensional data just meaning that you've got lots of rows and columns and you have to think of matrices as well and you can find clusters of uh, if if there's differences in means i guess you get significant changes and it will look along different axes of these matrices to look for these differences it's a it's a it's a very common technique but it, it there's a lot of i would argue high high mathematics um i i would have never come up with something like uh pca right it, it's a, a, a it's a tool from those people who love mathematics. Uh, what's the link for the paper? I have no idea. Um, here's the link. It is in the Discord already, I think, in uh, the neurotropism folder, but there's the link. So what do we see here? So um, here's our control cluster, which would come from their library. And basically, with this principal component analysis, there's differences between, so A is obviously rhesus macaques, and then along these axes that they're looking for, and to add an extra layer of complexity, they're looking in three dimensions. They're adding a Z axis for their uh, principal component analysis. And um, each one of the monkeys plots very differently so that's that's why they're saying there's a heterogeneous distribution to the proteins that are expressed and you know the simple fact is is that you know biology you're not dealing with machines right these aren't um computers or um engines etc and and so you to, this is where the skill comes in with I guess the life sciences, as you try to fit what seems like very um, discordant data, especially for people who are used to working with systems that are more concrete and well-defined. Okay. Okay, so in the RMPC analysis, data points were tightly clustered for replicate CSF analysis. So that's the control bit there. Uh, of infected animals and their controls were data from infected animals exhibited scattered 3D distributions within a mean scalar distance of six, well, the units are just essentially arbitrary in this. Um, units from the control data, increasing scalar distance from the RM controls tended to correspond with increased first week or peak viral load. However, the scalar distances of RM3 and RM2, which had similar pathology, did not significantly differ, although the viral load of RM3 was 40 times that of RM2. Now, 
to just my um <laughs> my take on that cluster and that or the PCA analysis. So RM three and four are closer, and they're saying RM three and RM two are closer. This this seems slightly odd to me, but um, it obviously passed peer review. For whatever that means these days, <laughs> not much. I'm, I'm afraid uh, we we're all we're all coming to learn that lesson. Similar results were detected in the AGM cohort, although CSF replicates tended to reveal larger variants, and the two controls were less similar. Yeah, so you can see here on the right hand side, the control in red is more um, spread. If you were to, to draw a kernel around it. And yeah, there's wide variation in the, um, the the different proteins expressed. Now, at the moment, we don't know what these proteins are, so that's, we'll have to delve deeper into this study to find out. Uh, let's see, we did that, did that. Similar results, and we did that. Results were detected in AGM. Did that, did that. The AGM also demonstrated a smaller but more variable mean scalar distance from the controls than the RM data, 2.6 units. Um, uh, yeah, so their their rel relativized scores you can see on the axes are much larger with recess macaques versus the African green monkeys. It's a, it's going from zero up to three, and this one is going zero up to five, six on uh, the y-axis. So I want to, I want to find out what, what are these proteins? That's, the, that's the big question, right? So the AGM data also demonstrated. Oh yeah, I did that. So I have to start from the beginning of the sentence again. The AGM data also demonstrated a smaller but more variable mean scalar distance than the RM data, which developed acute respiratory distress syndrome and was euthanized eight days post-infection. The AGMs that reached the study endpoint, scalar distances also tended to correspond with peak bronchial viral loads, with greater viral load corresponding with greater PCA distance. Interestingly, AGM2 had a lower viral load than AGM4, in the first week of infection that corresponded with its scalar distance. However, its peak viral load markedly increased at week three, at which time it met with criteria for euthanasia. Conversely, the scalar distance for AGM1 did not correspond with its viral load, perhaps since it required euthanasia by eight days post-infection due to severe illness. No similar correspondence was observed between CSF scalar distance and pulmonary or CNS pathology grades, which did not markedly differ among these animals except for AGM2 and AGM1. Um, so, clinical pathology, CNS pathology. So, I'll try and zoom in on. Come on. <laughs> That's a, oh, and of course, it zoom in on the. Yeah. All right. So, clinical pathology is so it 
it's split. Left hand side is for macaques. The right hand side is for the African green monkeys. And, and basically, I guess they're saying that there was mild respiratory, I guess, or what M over A is. But here you can see that acute respiratory distress occurred in two of the African green monkeys. And CNS pathology was seen in all of them, um, less so in the rhesus macaques, the African green monkeys, and obviously the two that died had a higher score. And in this case, it's just uh, qualitative pluses. <laughs> Could have made a asterisk, it'll look nicer. Uh, pulmonary pathology, so very, very little in the macaque. Uh, and obviously the ones that died from acute respiratory distress, uh, high score, peak viral load, um, bronchial brushes, and you can see that these two that received ARDS have orders of magnitude, higher viral loads, and interestingly, the infection route, I'm presuming AE means aerosol and MR would be I guess them uh, you know, squirting uh, your medium that contains the virus up up into the nose and bronchial tubes and both both methods were associated with the two monkeys that died Um, so, yeah, it's, like I say, these are, it's like there's a, you have to be probably inducted into these uh, circles to really, oh, really grasp what's going on here. And it, it seems very vague to me. Differently expressed proteins. Okay. Um, so they're obviously upregulated, downregulated, and, but what, what the, well, the scale is much larger on the African green monkeys, which seems odd to me because the principal component analysis scales were smaller. Yeah, again, I, I guess if you work with this technique, a lot of these things would be routine. To me, it's not. Um, okay. Yeah, the, but. Like I say, we don't know what these proteins are yet, so to press on. So we've done that, we've done that. Let's go through this. Um, okay. DEP changes associations with disease and injury-related pathways. We next use the IPA to evaluate potential associations among detected CSF protein changes and pathways associated with disease and injury processes. Pathways identified for RM and AGM groups in this analysis demonstrated near-complete overlaps with matches in their ranked orders, figure 3A and B. Um, so I'm guessing that let's see what 
proteins exhibiting differential abundance in CSF of infected versus non-infected NHPs associated with d disease and injury. CSF proteins differ differentially enriched in infected versus non-infected NHPs are enriched in pathways associated with neurological disease or tissue injury. So um, this slide here, progressive neurological disorder, progressive encephalopathy, disorder of basal ganglia, progressive motor neuropathy, tauopathy, chronic fatigue syndrome, degranulation of blood platelets, degranulation of phagocytes, thrombocellular infiltration, and the stronger the blue color for rhesus macaques is how much they're seeing the signals for these peptides which are associated with each one of these particular disease classifications. And here, yeah. so see that these look like microglia to me, um, and you can so can you you can't. Um, so we're looking at this the tissue histopathology here. So parenchyma just means the brain tissue. It doesn't tell us which bit of brain tissue, but the, the thing to notice is that you can see far more uh, deep uh, magenta staining on the infected side. And like I said, to me, they look like um, microglia. Um, here they're looking at blood vessels. And yeah, so you can, uh, if you can make that out, I'm, I'm reluctant to zoom in because it messes up the where I am in the page. But... If this, yes, you're you, you seeing the blood vessel wall. If you can track where my mouse is, and you can see that they're seeing signs of inflammation there, and nodule. I'm not sure what they mean by a nodule in this respect, but maybe that will come out in the text. And the same. Well, I would. Yeah, so the the African green monkeys are showing far more signal than the, well, not far more, but the, there's more there's more of these plots with respect to the different um, disorders with the African green monkeys. And again, of interest to me, you can see basal ganglia is lit up like a Christmas tree, um, and actually the same for both the rhesus macaques and. Uh, the African green monkeys, um, and you know, uh, the problem with primate studies is that these are low. You know, I wish that there were ten rhesus macaques and ten African green monkeys. Would it would make interpretation of the data easier? But um, what what's the take home from this figure? That what you're seeing is a yeah, just the increase in peptides and proteins that, again, as we talk about nearly every day, associated with a slew of neurological disorders. And, you know, in, in the aged cohort, this will, I would argue, it will tend towards neurodegeneration. In the younger cohort, that's the, the, the fingerprint that you would get would be this, what they call brain fog. The fatigue, brain fog, right? When you've got a 20-year-old who was um, 
I don't know, <laughs> amateur champion for doing the 100 meters dash. Um, a month later, not recovered. And again, you know, you, you have this post viral syndrome, ME, CFS, there's many labels for it. And I, I would put forward the premise that that state is an indicator of the prodromal process or prodromal meaning the indicators that you would get before full clinical expression of the neurodegenerative disorders. And this is, this is why I'm very, very antithetic, uh, yeah, just a, a, a lot of resistance to this idea of brain fog being a functional neurological disorder, meaning it's just, it's, it's psychosomatic. I don't think that's the case, and it's it's nice to see this increasing sophistication to being able to find these types of signals for these individuals. I know what it's like to be in that state. It sucks, <laughs> and it, it, you know it can it can drag on for years, and you never get back to your old self. Okay, and you know what would what would be the advice with respect to therapeutics in this scenario? Well, you know, there's obviously the clotting issue. Sorry, you, you're not the the perfusion of the brain is not what it should be, and then coupled on top of that, you've got this inflammatory process and the preenergic mechanisms beginning to form these protein these misfolded proteins now you know in it seems to me that you know of course lifestyle differences um and or, or lifestyle changes right and you know this is something i had to learn the hard way right <laughs> when you're in your 20s if you get into this state you're unfortunate enough to to be harmed in this way whether by uh, exposure to the virus or you've got a bad um bad reaction to the uh, the gene genetic vaccines sleep <laughs> sleep is critical okay that's that's when the brain flushes out a lot of the toxins that are built up during the your waking state and you know there's a, a horrible catch-22 when you get these sort of brain type injuries is that sleep tends not to be as you lose the quality of sleep right so you'll sleep shorter periods and then you'll wake up and you know that's when when you go for your neurological exam because you you get out or you struggle to get out of bed and you you realize hey <laughs> something I'm not right I'm not uh you know you know when you're in your 20s and uh you know there's certain bedroom activities that you get up to and you know when you when you're unable to do them and it's a job to swing your legs out the bed and you go to the doctor and one of the questions will be how well are you sleeping and the and you see this across many, many different disorders, right? And 
So people who have had brushes with depression, what they'll find is, is that, boom, three o'clock in the morning, they wake up, right? And why, you know, there's lots of theories as to why that should be, but it seems to be a common thread that runs through these different disorders, okay? And in this, in this state, I would, you know, what, what, there's a lot of interest in nanokinase right now to sort of maybe thin the blood out, et cetera, remove, try to break down these clots. I'm, um, I'm yet to be convinced that nanokinase can break down amyloid. Nothing that I've seen, uh, there are, there, you can find anything and everything in in vitro studies where you're just looking at a dish and cells etc and quercetin etc and all these flavonoids um all potentially could be useful um but i wouldn't i'm very i've always been very reluctant to say to people you should do x y and z okay to to help you get over these these symptoms okay? but the, you know as a consequence of this pandemic what are the leading interventions that people could make beyond the lifestyle changes? Well, as I just mentioned, natokinase, quercetin. Um, I think vitamin D seems to be coming out as a very, very important molecule. And the, I know cannabis will leap in in the chat because <laughs> this idea that vitamin D is immune suppressive and that's true but if you're in a situation where you've got chronic inflammation right and as we've done this work and we've read through these studies the chronic activation of microglia seems to be a hallmark that again seems to underlie many, many different neurological disorders. And perhaps, you know, the idea... Uh, vitamin D, quercetin, L-carnitin. Yeah, look, I'm, um, I'm for everyone trying all these types of interventions. I am. I, I, I would never say to anyone... Don't do X, Y, or Z. Try to do what helps you. And the... Oh, From my own personal experience, there's a learn, especially if you're in the younger cohort, right? If you, if you get whacked in your, 20, in your 20s, Right, there's a there's a learning process that you have to go through where you where it's a kind of acceptance, I guess. Right? That not yeah, it's acceptance and the fact that you you don't want to be doing the types of activities that can predispose you to lighting that inflammatory fire in your central nervous system. Okay? And you know the People swear by fasting and all, all, all these things. You, 
you are going to have to find what works for you, right? And there's there's a long list now of essentially interventions that you could make. And you know the FLCC, the FLCCC guys have uh, a whole bunch of stuff that you can try on their website, and you can probably just buy them from vitamin suppliers. And I really, I, I really wish I had better, better answers than that. But I'm, I'm conscious of giving out medical advice. I am a, yeah, yeah. I was clinically focused and worked in hospitals, etc. But I'm, I am not the medical doctor. Okay, I am a research scientist. That's that's my area of expertise, and I don't mind. People, you know, you can DM me and I'll have these discussions, but I, I tend to avoid giving prescriptions. I, 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 yeah. You want to sit down, people? I tend to, I tend to avoid g giving these prescriptions as this, th you must do this. I, I, and, well, beyond, beyond the, you know, slow down. Right. If if you if you if your body has got into this state, again, it doesn't even have to be from SARS, etc. You get there are many ways that you can end up in this in this condition, and slow down, sleep. Those are those are the two most important things that you can get. And you know, the many many people swear by melatonin. Um, and like I say, I've I've tried all these interventions and i i would say out of all of them that the most effective is to make sure that you you sleep and to learn right so it took me it took me a long long time to and like i say especially you know 30 years ago when i was in my 20s that you and i i supposedly and again they don't know i epstein bar that's what they put in my medical records right probable epstein bar and <laughs> what did they what did they it was just if you got a diagnosis back then it was chronic fatigue syndrome even even myalgic encephalitis had not been brought into the discussion back then and I had to learn that if you had like a good day, right, not to overdo it in that day because what happens is is that you then crash and then you have to have a days down where you, your condition is not good, you're, you're in a weakened state. And so you have to learn to find that balance. And I, I'm still, I'm still, I still make those mistakes now, right? And it's it's part of the yeah I don't know coming to coming towards wisdom I guess and wisdom about yourself. So I've I've been speaking a lot and maybe I should just have a quick look at the chat because people maybe do have questions. Um, done that. Done that. Uh, let's see, 
Hello. Yes, Lyme, Epstein Barr, COVID jab, etc., can all lead to brain fog, non restorative sleep, etc. Yes. Early morning awakening is a cardinal symptom of depression. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And uh, like I say, depression is very much a catch all um, definition for a whole or, or, or the potential to go down molten. You don't go down multiple diagno diagnostic pathways, but it's you can go down. There's a potential to go down, you know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lewy body dementia, and so on and so forth. And and depression sort of sits at the at, at the root as one of the first symptoms that you can you can develop working towards uh, or, or going into what would be your final diagnosis as, as you're heading into these are end of life conditions particularly the neurodegenerative ones the the issue and this is the like the state of state of the art in neuroscience is is what i've been trying to talk about with respect to the neuropsychiatric end where impulse control disorders and you know the and in in the young cohort depression would be the you know one of the major um emergent symptoms and you know that can that can come from many many different factors right there's environmental factors that feed into things like depression but there's there's a neurophysiological correlate of that and we're still trying to tease those apart and you know it's it's amazing that we have these technologies that can look at this and, and look at these peptides and proteins of interest and are categorizing them in, into these de de definitive diagnoses that this is like i say when i started my career there was there was none of this Uh, let's see. Everyone likes to sit and complain like children. Uh, if people don't want to help themselves, let them die. People don't want to attempt to try it and do better. Everyone likes to sit and complain like children. Well, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm less, uh, mercenary in that context because, look, not everyone, hey, big boy. Um, not everyone has the experience or the ability to be able to read through these papers. And the thing is, what have, what, what have we learned in the last three years is that authoritative sources, trusted news network, all, all these, um, well, they're, they're, they're hard. Hey, what did I just say? All these organizations were, weren't there to help people. They were there to control people. And you know, the, it's difficult to get people to try to see what, the, what these networks are, are, are actually doing. Now, look. For sure, you can go to, I, I don't know, what's a, 
uh, Medline, something like that, where you can go there and you could get sort of like a brief explainer as to, you know, the symptoms that you're dealing with. Would they, in the context of being exposed to gene transfection technologies, would they would they point at that and say that could be a causal factor? No, they're not going to do that. You you have to come to someone like myself, who's prepared to sort of stand out on that ledge and say there's the that potentially could be the issue here. All right, let's let's get on with the wave pump. Um, chemical imbalances equals clinical depression, says Nancy Drew. Um, it's more complex than that, right? You can, you know, there's, in the, in the last year or so, right, we've seen sort of big claims about um, the serotonin hypothesis, et cetera, not, not really panning out. And we've even seen that with respect to uh, amyloid beta in neuro, uh, yeah, neurodegenerative disorders. Right, that there are still open questions for this research, and now, but I'm I'm not against the studying of these phenomena, um, but what we've had a very very sharp lesson in is that these phenomena are of great interest to these biowarfare programs. Why incapacitation? Andrew says, I've been trying to help someone with hypersomnia and brain fog and trying many different things with them, doctor's options, etc. Very difficult. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Um, you know, there's, there's no... Um, if you're struggling, right, there's no shame, right, if, it, especially when sleep is such a critical component of trying to get, get get back more towards a healthy state. And if your sleep quality is poor, because you, your brain is essentially on fire with this chronic low-grade, we call it low-grade, but just chronic inflammation, right? There's no shame in going and getting help to sleep. Right? Look, I had to do it after my head injury, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm just accepting of that as part of the landscape in which I now have to operate. And there's, there's multiple options, well, I don't know, in sort of Western, what they, what they would give you these days for, for sleep. And um, me personally, you know, I think that, they should well if you if you have a serious problem right the the gaba agonists the gaba agonists and gaba itself is anti-inflammatory right so it helps those drugs can help and you know of course try all the other stuff before you make that step um but you don't have to use GABA agonists. There are, you know, what's, what's, what's one of the most effective medicines that I've tried or, or, or use, I would say. And I've, look, 
I've tried everything. And, is, and now all the, the cannabinoid bros are going to be out there and saying, you've got to do this, etc. But for, for my personal set of circumstances, right, once, once all, like, the, you're suffering from, like, neuralgia and um, chronic pain in, like, limbs and stuff, right? None, none of the cannabinoids work. Of course, you know, yeah, you can go the hardcore painkiller route as as not hardcore painkillers but you know um short term codeine and those things can help right i'm not i'm i try to avoid them obviously long term but there's you know that's that's one option but there are there are other options as well and like i say if when i when i have my head injury the most effective intervention was ketamine Right, it it sort of snapped and reversed around what felt like a a rapid, rapid decline. Now, you can't take ketamine every day. Doesn't <laughs> you don't want to do that? It ain't good for you. Okay, not not like that. But as a drug with very, very efficacious pain control, and this is just my experience, was um, amyltryptyline, okay? So it's like the first generation, um, well, what they, they, it was prescribed as um, like depression. But what they found, what they found is, is that it's brilliant for chronic pain. Cannabinoids make me worse. I mean, I, I like the state of getting high, etc. But when I do, I have pain. It may, it amplifies pain for me. And the only way that, like I say, one of the best ways I've found to get it under control is amyltryptyline. Okay. And that's just me. Maybe you find other. Maybe the cannabinoids do work for you. Okay. But if I had to rank order them, right, for immediate relief, ketamine. Long-term use, amyltryptyline, and then below that, I would place the drugs like um, uh, tramadol, um, those types of drugs. And I have to look. I I'm have to use a combination, and I I have to sort of. Some weeks you take a little bit more of one thing and, and I'm taking, you know, you should see my supplement shelf. It looks, it looks massive and it, it is massive, right? But it's, it's a process to try to achieve maximal quality of life. Okay. All right. So Uh, let's see. Now it says when you do too much, you crash. You need several days more sleep. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's appalling that we have to do the job. Where's the people who get paid gigantic salaries to do the job, etc.? Well, they're getting their they're getting their gigantic salaries, right? And look, I've never been one to um, chase that aspect of the science clinical world. You know, I, I I like the science itself. I can m m 
nine times out of ten, I just despised the people around that environment. I couldn't stand them, right? And that's that's actually it was one of the reasons that I just found working with primates such a useful, uh, not useful, um, appealing uh, uh, career choice because. You work one-on-one with the monkey and you're left alone for all day because <laughs> you're working with a monkey. You can't be interrupted when you've, when you've got a monkey on deck, right? And that's a lot of the reason that I went down um, the pathways that I did. And I, like I say, I couldn't, I hated conferences. I hated the, the mix and the fucking egos and the, I, I hated all of it. And again, you know, my my reflex was just because I came from such a working class background, I I, I had to just suppress the reflex just to want to chin these these fucking. And they were often just Asperger's lick spittle types that had got through the system, and now. I guess because they were bullied so much in in a, <laughs> at a childhood level, have uh, a, a become pathologically, um, de- well, deranged and looking for for I don't know power trips and ego inflation. I like I say, but it's, I'm I'm happy to be out of that environment. Okay. All right. So. Uh, let's see, ketamine for a one-stop help jumpstart. Yes, amyltryptyline is a tricyclic antidepressant in low dose of bedtime. It can help with chronic pain as well as sleep. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I'd, what do I take daily? I don't know. It's, I go between sort of 10 or 20 milligrams. Um, you know, if I get into a bad way, I'll up it for a little bit. But it, it's honestly uh, from because like, I've had to be treating these myself since I was in my twenties, okay, and that's that's just my own list that I've I've found, okay. And look, as a psychonaut, right, I love those that end of the spectrum with respect to. Um, I don't know the meditative states of the um, the psychedelic state, but every time I do that, I know that there will be a price to pay, right? And uh, uh, instead of a day or two to recover, I need a week to recover. Uh, all right. Um, The, I can't stand stoners and base head retards with mushrooms growing out their ears. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Data says, once fortnight is about the most often you can take ketamine without suffering deletus effects on cognitive function. Yeah. Uh, um, and look, as a long-term intervention, I'm not sure... I'm not sure you'd want to be doing it every two weeks. But as a, you know, if you if you are going out 
peeking it. it it's one of the safer um, drugs, right? The the LD fifty level is is high between versus the psychoactive threshold versus lethal threshold. So you you're, you're likely just to fall unconscious um, and shut down your breathing. Some, like something like fentanyl, for example. Uh, GDL says, academia is an ass-licking contest often. It's really annoying environment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I say, I, I, I would never, ever go back now. Um, you know, I'm happy. Has anyone even sent a dono today? Let me see. Alex Bills, cough up. Uh, oh, there's one. Let me just see if... So, oh. Uh, one, uh, Carl, you may have, oops, let's see. You had enough? So we've looked at figure three. Let's let's move on. I wanna I wanna see if we get a more focused or, or this is gonna drill down into which proteins are um being well changed by exposure to the pathogen. So both RMs and AGMs showed significant enrichment in pathways related to progressive neurological disorders, such as progressive encephalopathy, basal ganglia disease, progressive motor neuropathy, tauopathy. What have I been saying? <laughs> From the beginning. From the beginning. And I, the fact that they've gene transfected this into people with a highly labile particle we we will be picking up the pieces for decades. Uh, what recovery symptoms with K? So um, I after I hit my head, um, and you, I, it's possibly because I'd in my twenties I'd had this um, run in with Epstein Barr and the long sustained uh, post viral. Um, was just um, neuralgia, right? Every, everything would just hurt all the time, and I, you know, and I was literally, I, I was, all the symptoms for Parkinson's were there, and I, I, I know I'm, that's my endpoint. I know that anyway because I've got the, the brain scans and what have you to, <laughs> to demonstrate it. But um, the. So after I'd hit my head, there was there was this sort of delayed component that just I was completely unprepared for, right? So there there was like the initial impact and the the concussive state, right? So I I don't I rem I remember hitting my head, and I don't remember anything after that till the afternoon uh, to the evening, but apparently I was just carrying on doing what I was doing. Anyway, which was painting the house, right? And then I remember sort of coming back in and everything just looked one dimension. Right? I had no depth perception. And I can remember thinking at the time, oh, I've, you're concussed. 
anyway. I've had concussion before. This was a bad one, and it and that passed after a few days, and and then weeks later came a whole, this whole sequelae of of symptoms that. Like I say, I wasn't prepared for them because of the environment in which I worked in, which was handling animals and using neurotoxins and excitotoxins. And I developed all these Parkinsonian-like symptoms, stiff, shuffling gait. I remember trying it. And one day when I realized it was really bad, I'd struggled to get out of bed and I couldn't, I'm trying to get to the stairs and I couldn't lift my leg step down the step and it was at that point i'm like okay i I need fucking help right and i i thought to myself i've i've had too much chronic exposure to these neurotoxins that i didn't think it was the head injury and the um and i'm I'm forever grateful to and you know and, and there was a lot of pain as well right and um so i was waking up and all my arms would be numb and uh, stuff like stuff like that. And I, so, you know, numb arms when you're sleeping. You know, my thought was, oh, I've trapped nerves or something. And um, and so I went to uh, what do you call it? Ah, uh, bone doctors. <laughs> the word's slipping me right now. Not osteopath. Yeah, oste- osteopath. Um, and he, old Japanese guy, and he looked at me and he was like, um, there's no structural abnormalities. What You've got something, what you're dealing with is neurological, right? And then, then I sort of went down, well, I, had, I just had to find, I had to get relief, right? Because I was, I was basically getting into work and I was, I would probably, <laughs> crawl into the labyrinths, but they, they just weren't touching anything, right, in, in the months after the, the head injury. And, you know, my, my speech was messed up, my memory was messed up, the, everything. It was, it was a complete mess. And I'm, you know, I'm, I was trying to push through it all the time. And, you know, the, for, someone, for someone who's suffering from TBI, I would. I, I honestly think that ketamine is a um, good initial uh, intervention, particularly if you're suffering, because th- there's this issue with. So w- w- the way I got they classified me is mild TBI, right? <laughs> it's because and why do they classify it as mild? Because you can't. I, I'm not paralyzed, right? And, that, and and so you get shoved into this definition of functional neurological disorders where they can't they can't really see anything now look if you could take out scoop out my brain and do histochemistry like that you'd probably find um scar tissue and all those types of things but you can't it's very very difficult to see stuff even with you know it, high power mri right And let's see, do, 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 do. wow, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Big Macs, superb, sir. 
Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that made it. Well, I'll keep working now. <laughs> I'm just whinging about my um, medical state. And so, you know, there's... Uh, how to how to oh, okay. i'm i'm also very conscious of saying go out and get ketamine right because a lot of people just don't have access to it and the you know what are you who knows what you're scoring in a, in a club right now and in in a in a environment where especially in the US they've Asymmetric war via chemical warfare is such a prevailing factor. I especially uh, am conscious of that. But if you uh, if you can get under a medical setting, and like I say, if you've had TBI or you're in a situation where you've where you're dealing with chronic um, neuronal inflammation, and you know, thanks to Karma Doc, um, she she's a she's a big advocate for low dose naltrexone. Now that's something I've never tried, and you know it seems, you know that's a opioid um, antagonist, right? Not agonist, antagonist, and it's al it's always struck me as um, counterintuitive to to use naltrexone for pain control. But there are some people who swear by naltrexone, low dose. So low dose naltrexone as a intervention for these chronic inflamed states, and I, I personally have never tried it, and I I would never um, I would never ask for it here in Japan. Personally, it, it would just um, just be a pain in the ass, probably. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. I took a serious rear end hit in the car, had numb arms in the mornings for months, very scary stuff. No time for doctors. I must have been lucky. Um, yep. My friend, she munched ketamine and found the biggest tumble dryer and took a tour. <laughs> okay. uh, it's the safest recreational chemical, but the medicinal variety is the less fun isomer. Gotta get the full racemic mixture. Yeah. Um, that that would be my. If if you're looking to get or, or use ketamine therapy, you want the proper what they'll use for anesthesia. So the 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 racemic, full racemic, the whatever L and R isomers of the of the molecule. Um, that's that's for sure. Um, seek that out. Why is my chat? Clipped for some reason. What have I done? Huh. Uh, okay, it is, it is worth Right. Let, let, let's delve on, right? Because we're getting we're getting to the important part of this paper, where where we're talking about these neural networks, which I've spent so much time uh, focusing on. So, 
uh, in the RM group, pathways associated with progressive encephalopathy, basal ganglia disorders, as well as thrombus formation and cellular infiltration were detected in all animals, while all other pathways tended to exhibit enrichment according to progressive disease severity. Pathways associated with tauopathy, so Alzheimer's, platelet and phagocyte degranulation and progressive motor neuropathy were detected in free animals, while ones associated with progressive neurological disorders or chronic fatigue were detected in two and one animals respectively. Pathways detected in the AGM group were associated with progressive encephalopathy, basal ganglia disorders, phagocyte degranulation, chronic inflammatory disorders, and leukocyte infiltration, and were consistently detected in all AGMs except AGM1 that was euthanized early, and AGM3 that had the least severe disease and did not reveal enrichment in a thrombus-associated pathway. As pathway enrichments detected appear to reflect both the severity and duration of the disease response. Neurological injury pathways identified in this analysis match findings from recent studies that have reported cognitive dysfunction in COVID-19 patients who have recovered from infection, including those who exhibited only mild COVID-19 symptoms. The degree of pathway overlap we detected was particularly striking given the age disease. And you know what? I'm sorry, uh, Orlando, you didn't, uh, you didn't get a stinger. <laughs> For you, bro. I just forgot something. Uh, okay. Um. Uh, right. Let's uh, do this. Do this. This. The degree of pathway overlap we detected was particularly striking given the age, disease susceptibility and background differences between the NHPs in these two groups, even though the dysregulated genes that identified these pathways differed among these two groups. In the RM cohort, pathways were detected by 36D data, several of which demonstrated older expression in multiple RMs and were shared among pathways associated with neurological disorders or inflammatory processes. Multiple RMs demonstrated primarily downregulated expression of proteins associated with cytoskeleton structure, actin B, decorin, uh, that's a new one for me, uh, profilin and tubulin alpha-1B and cell metabolism, apolipoprotein D, glyceraldehyde-3, phosphate dehydrogenase, and upregulated expression of proteins associated with cell and tissue injury and or remodeling processes. Complement factor D, matrix metalloprotease T, and serpene A3. Most of these proteins were detected in two or more of the RMs and in three or more pathways associated with neurological disorders. Six of these nine DEPs were also, also belong to a pathway associated with leukocyte infiltration. That's just um, so when the blood-brain barrier gets leaky and the immune immune cells find a way into the brain and you know when you when you get to that level of um brain injury you're gonna be in for a hard time there's there's not much or there's 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 no two ways um about that oh stop my screen layout haven't i um okay that looks better all right. Several of these proteins have been linked to brain endothelial dysfunction, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and neuroinflammation. 
In the AGM cohort, pathways were detected by 67 DEPs. However, these proteins did not demonstrate the same degree of correspondence as was observed in RMs with coordinate regulation observed primarily in the changes among the two AGMs that have predominantly down-regulated DEPs. Among the 29 DEPs consistently detected in both AGM2 and AGM3, 17 proteins that were down-regulated in the AGM2 and AGM3 were up-regulated in either AGM3 or AGM4, which actually, let me just sort of pass that little section out because it, it, it feeds into what I was uh, riffing about earlier, which um, is about what works for one person may not work for another, right? So with the same pathogen, you're, you're seeing differential proteomic expression profiles. And like I say, that, and we, it's a shame that we don't have a hundred monkeys in each cohort, but we have to work with what we have. The fact that you see differential expressions is the physiological basis of why different medications work in different cases and may not work for some individual versus another, right? So when, and like I say, the, the big argument, and like I say, I get this a lot, right? It's, it's the cannabinoid folks, right? Who, who see cannabinoids as the, can cure anything and everything. Right. And in it helps. It can help some people. Right. It doesn't it's it's never helped me. Right. It it's always made symptoms worse. Doesn't matter what strains I've tried and I've tried them I've tried them all. Right. Um I and and, and I would still smoke to get high right but there was there was that cost to it right which was it would increase the uh, neuralgia and the um yeah it's like i say if if something doesn't work for you you've just that that's a data point and then you move on to the next thing right that's, that's that's all it means, okay? And everyone is different. Um, uh, let's see. Naltrexone is a prescription drug. Yes, it is. And I, to, if you're going to go look for treatment with naltrexone, um, you have to be doing that under medical supervision. Right. But there are there are some people who swear by its ability to help with chronic neuropathic type pain. And you know, the you don't have to well, I say what you need to find is a is a sympathetic primary care physician who's prepared to work with you to find the right combination of supplementation, lifestyle changes, and medications, right? And you know, there's a there's a reason why we put so much 
effort, human effort into research and, and the medical fields, etc. Because it, it does, we can make these interventions, right? But do not think, you're not cookie cutter clones, right? You are unique collections of coherent, energetic patterns and chemistry and biology that have come together to form who and what you are and that those that aggregation of fundamental forces is going to have a unique fingerprint because of the environment in which it's had to uh, evolve and adapt to and again patience right and i get it i get it that people want to have a silver bullet type approach to these types of clustered symptoms right and it it drives me insane when you see people saying things like long covid doesn't exist right it's it's a nauseating um indicator of the survivor bias um fallacy right you might have got through okay but there's a whole cohort of people that didn't okay and there's a whole cohort of people that have got fucked up because of the interventions that were literally forced upon them. And we should we should be grateful. Well, I don't know. <laughs> there's a, there's a, scientists need at the moment a fucking short leash, right? And it needs to be yanked pretty fucking hard, if you want my opinion right now with um what we've seen in the last three years. Um, but the you have to you have to find what works for you, and look, you'll find something that yeah you'll get you'll get a therapeutic benefit, but it wears off, right? And so then you have to mix and change it up. Um, Uh, this pathology can also come from chronic stress over long periods. Yeah, yeah. It's not... Um, the, the long hauler ME CFS state, that there are essentially infinite number of vectors that can bring you into that um, state. Emotional trauma, loss of a loved one, right um yeah stress work stress all, all all these things can contribute to an inflamed state in the brain and this this is what i've been trying to hammer home over these last 3 years that we've seen them or i i think that they've realized how to weaponize and accelerate people into that state. And hey, you're not dead, right? So it's within the letter of the law. Um, where's Waldo says, I look after my gram with advanced Alzheimer's, hard to tell, but with supplement regime along with diet, seems to have slowed a bit, even still progressing. Yeah, look, the, the when you're, 
when you're no longer prodromal, right? When the symptoms become overt, it's essentially a one-way ticket, right? And all, all, what you should be focusing on is trying to extend quality of life, right? But then, you know, the, the problem is, and I can, we've become very, very good at um, when, the, when the individual has gone, right, the, the brain damage is, is such that the person that you knew is not, is not really there anymore. We're able to keep the body around perhaps longer than nature intended. Now, I am in no way advocating for euthanasia pods. I find the idea of the Liverpool care pathway and restricting people's access to things like water horrendous um, interventions. Right, and you know, if I if I if I had to have my way, and I, I would I want to be in my house, and even <laughs> I don't know, man, even if it means I have to sit on a fucking commode, right, because I'm I'm unable to make it to the bathroom. I I want to be in my space, my house. I don't want I don't want assisted living and this is why it's so important to focus on you know building out family so why are you supposed to have more than one child right <laughs> have my advice five you get five minimum right that's what that's i wish i'd done that and yeah you know, it, 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 it is what it is i guess uh i had covid for three months, two weeks with the congestion, etc., with that longer with brain fog, off balance, and fatigue. Yeah, um, I hear this a lot. Either this or long term care. <laughs> yeah, uh, it definitely crosses the blood brain barrier. Well, so that the this is where the data is messy, right? So in some in some cases, you can find virus in the brain, right? But whole, it's not there in everyone. The issue is, is this, the infected cells are able to, this is, this is why it's so stupid of Cooey to just be saying, oh, they're replication incompetent particles, right, that don't do anything. No, that's, that's not true. There, there are reactive proteins that can get packaged up and trafficked around the body and can pass the blood-brain barrier that can mess you up long term and the issue is once you've kicked off these prion-like pathways those are self-amplifying right and so you don't need per se to have viremia in the brain now we know it gets into the brain Okay, but but the, what the data seems to show is is that it'll it'll go down into sort of like a low energy state, right, and sort of spits out low numbers of virions. But it's also putting out these um, disease augmenting peptides. 
let's see. There was a monkey experiment in the late 80s. A monkey should pull a lever to get food. Resembled a 48-hour work week. After two weeks, it laid in something position, shaking in his cage. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, that I've, I've, I've railed at this before, but there's this sort of um, premise that you're supposed to be pumped in this go, go, go state all the time, right? And you got you got to get out there, and you've got to be you got to be driving yourself. And that you know, that, that, well, there's a difference between having a good work ethic, right, and doing what you need to do versus going down the um, you know this hyper-driven state. Right? And you know, I can think back and say, you know, I probably set myself up for Epstein-Barr infection because I was going down that hyper-driven state, right? I, I was working hard, you know, I worked whilst I was at university. I, I um, worked hard at my degree and I, you know, well, I was very, very fit when I was in my 20s and I liked partying and girls as well, right? And I didn't have time for sleep. And yeah, eventually it'll catch up with you and boom, there you go. And it changed your life forever. Um, let's see. When someone says they have headaches and low energy, I suggest they take rehydrate, body salts, and they can drink because it will do no harm. And often stops the headaches. World has succumbed to a deaf culture. Very sad. Um, yes, uh, I start losing my mind due to dementia. It's a bullet to the brain pill. Um, yeah, and look, there's a. Uh, I'm sort of in this state or, or a, a, a point in my life where you know I know because of the brain injuries that yeah. You know, if I if I stretch it out tw another twenty years, it, it it it's a good innings, right? And so, you know, I wouldn't normally advocate. I would rather I would rather have get taken out by a massive stroke or a heart attack or or, or something like that before I lose the um, functioning neural neural faculties mental faculties that i've managed to maintain up to this and I, i've i've worked too too closely in clinics with particularly parkinson's um to want to want to be in that state not that's that's not for me and i would uh do all right that's why i'm you know People are saying to me, ah, you're vaping, and that's all. I am concerned, right? <laughs> um, l l you got to check out some way, right? And if I have my choice, um, and from what I've seen clinically, I I, I would I would rather um, none of it's pleasant, right? <laughs> um, I'd I'd rather something quick overwhelming and um 
done and dusted with. I don't I don't wanna don't wanna be dragged out um over decades and, and that's essentially the well the, the medical technology is such now that we can we can do that. Uh let's see. Let's see, I don't get what that means. The FLCC protocol, along with the FLCC doctor provided prescriptions, definitely helped. It's good to know. Some cases where people take ivermectin, the headaches go away. We know IVM does not cross the blood brain barrier, so maybe IVM heals circulatory system like endothelial. Uh, Again, I, I I don't know, you know, I, uh, ivermectin is such a complex molecule that and it may just be, you know, that, that you have a sort of baseline parasite load that you're dragging around and it's, it's if you get into a sensitive state where, I don't know, you're, you're suffering from... Um, migraine and and stuff like that because of toxic load that maybe uh, removing that sort of baseline parasite load is um is enough to help and removing those toxins is enough to help in that in that space i don't know but um it seems uh you know i would never discourage people from taking or trying different therapies that simple um, I found family members fall into the shadows when confronted with parent loved ones with dementia. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I suspect the depersonalization of older people is going to get much worse. Part of the plan. Oh yeah. <laughs> You'll be sure about that, especially uh, you, beyond uh, Oh, you, Untermensch. Uh, <laughs> they've got their eyes on you and the little bit of wealth that you managed to accrue during your uh, slave-like existence. Um, they are making and anyway we're getting to the really good bits in this paper and I'm getting distracted uh, so did that did that among 29 DAPs consistently detected in both AGM2 and AGM3 17 proteins were downregulated. didn't I just read all this uh, um there was that weird protein I'd never heard. There. Uh, Decorin. We did that one. So in the AGM cohort pathways were detected by 67 DEPs. However, these proteins did not demonstrate the same degree of correspondence as was observed in rhesus, uh, with coordinate regulation observed primarily in the changes among the two AGMs, AGM uh, African green monkeys, AGM2, AGM. The predominantly down-regulated DEPs. Among the 29 DEPs consistently detected in both AGM2 and AGM3, 17 proteins that were down-regulated in the AGM2 and AGM3 were up-regulated in either AGM3 or AGM4. Most of these 29 DEPs were detected in at least three of the five enriched neurological injury pathways, with the exception of five genes, beta-2 microglobulin, intracellular adhesion molecule, one ICAM one for that is a good indicator that your uh, blood-brain barrier is taking a 
a beating. Uh, lysosomal associated membrane protein, collecting free binding protein and neuronal cell adhesion molecule. Uh, several of these proteins that were downregulated in AGM2 and AGM3 are endogenous A beta suppressors, uh, FAM free C, TTR. I wonder if they mean amyloid beta there. Uh, pro, pro, prosuposin, PSAP, and several apolipoproteins that are immunosuppressive and regulate inflammatory activity of macrophages were also downregulated, as was the prion protein, PRMP, whose downregulation can impair neuronal cell survival. To give an overview of the comparison of these DEPs associated with neuroimpairment, five categories, neuropathologies in human brain, neuropathologies in mice monkeys, plasma protein changes after COVID-19, CSF protein changes in COVID-19 patients, and plasma proteins associated with COVID-19 severity have been used. Most of the DEP changes we observed are supported by previous reports that have observed corresponding mRNA or protein expression changes in CSF, brain tissue, or histopathological sections. Consistent with this enrichment in neuroinflammation-associated pathways, basal ganglia tissue from infected NHPs revealed upregulated integrin alpha M CD11B expression and morphological changes, e.g. in large cell bodies and retracted and thickened cell processes indicative of microglial activation. Mild perivascular accumulation and nodular lesions were also revealed by CD11 immunohistochemistry. Again, there's the there's this data pointing us towards basal ganglia, midbrain, and not in this, but basal ganglia, midbrain in this particular instance. But we've looked at other papers, and obviously um, those brainstem regions as well seem to take um, seem to be particularly susceptible. Okay, so DEP associations with specific functional pathways. A reactome pathway database analysis was next performed to identify specific functional pathways associated with CSF changes detected in the infected NHPs. All CSF proteins that revealed significant expression difference, differences in infected NHPs were analyzed to identify DEP signatures associated with functional pathway changes that occurred or persisted more than three weeks after the initial infection. This analysis also detected substantial overlap in pathways detected in rhesus and African monkeys with pathway enrichment again tending to reflect disease severity and duration, although more functional pathways were detected in the rhesus macaque group 17 versus 12. Shared pathways were associated with innate immunity. So, innate, and again, this is, this is looking at or pointing towards activation or, or chronic activation of microglia. So, innate immune system, neutrophil degranulation, complement cascade, cytokine signaling, coagulation, homeostasis, platelet degranulation, and activation and elevation of cytosolic calcium signaling. Uh, signal transduction and signaling by Rho GTPases and axon guidance. And uh, that's quite, this is, this is where the proteomics really, <laughs> the, it's where the tech starts to really run away. So, um, what can we pull from this? 
again, uh, um, without, I'm not okay with all, all the proteins that they're talking about, right? But, you know, the, I don't know, like a tip for sort of looking at these, particularly these sort of uh, matrices, matrices like plots is, is to almost sort of blur your vision a little bit and see what sort of stands out with strong colors and see what you know and increase obviously being increases being red and decreases being being blue and these like i say if you were inclined and you wanted to get into a research environment you could you could do a whole PhD thesis about one particular protein and the pathway that it's involved with. And um, I, I guess I'm thankful that there are some people out there that do do this type of work. Um, I don't think I could have done it. All right, in recess, pathways associated with innate immunity, homeostasis, and extracellular matrix remodeling were enriched, uh, while pathways associated with axon guidance, well, we've kind of just read through all this. Uh, it's repeating what we just read for African green monkeys, so I'm going to skip that. Um, but pathways enriched in the African green monkey cohort were influenced more by heterogeneous sets of DEPs that exhibited more diverse expression patterns, likely due to more varied pathology of these animals, including early mortality and the more diverse genetic and environmental backgrounds. Notably, most DEPs found in these pathways were not detected in African green monkey one. Well, of course, he was dead, that's why. All right. CSFDEP exhibits overlap with proteins preferentially expressed in the CNS and circulation. So SARS-CoV-2 infection promoted neuronal injury and death in the brain and brainstem of these animals in the absence of significant viral infection of the corresponding tissues. And again, this is this is where the it's a limit to the hypothetical framework that you're you're working with that you you people presume that you have to have whole functional virus in in the brain and that that's it's much more complex than that and like i say you can how much if if the work of iwasaki is right from the brain organoids and you you, you can have this low level of replication you might you might struggle to find whether whether actual infection reservoir is but it doesn't mean that they're not pumping out these peptides and it the the fact that the brain is responding to these peptides or these inflammatory for sake of argument we just call them in, inflammatory um, peptides then it's it's a indicator that there's something that something more fundamental is going on and and you know you can we can it's not stretching the literature to say that once you can get exposed and then your own innate mechanisms become a little deranged somewhat and then you you go down this misfolding protein pathway okay since NHPs mimic human physiologic responses to COVID-19 and CSF proteome changes can reflect expression changes in the brain 
We analyzed the expression of our identified DAPs in 10 regions of the healthy human brain as reported in the Human Protein Atlas database to evaluate the potential to contribute to CSF changes observed post-infection on the brain. The database contains 13,623 protein entries and defines as brain-enhanced if its mRNA expression in at least one brain region is at least fourfold higher its average MRA, mRNA expression in all other tissues. This analysis found that 76 of 136 rhesus CSF DEPs match proteins that were selectively expressed in at least one brain region. Let's have a look at figure 5A. And um, yeah, so where are the areas where we're seeing this expression? Pons and medulla, brainstem, basal ganglia, cerebral cortex, midbrain, and the midbrain, if you remember what we did earlier in the week, was um, where we see the dopaminergic neurons. And again, think about this study. This study could be telling us a lot, right? which is the, there's this decreased activity. If I was making a Parkinsonian monkey, I would be very, very happy with data that looked like that. Okay, and that's a population-wide, nationwide study in the U.S. Six, no, it wasn't six thousand, but close to six thousand um, subjects. But yeah, the those. The fact that we're seeing expression from these regions of the brain doesn't surprise me. It's been my premise from the very beginning. And, you know, the in the in the older cohort, yes, neurodegeneration. In the younger cohort, you're you're into this very slippery neuropsychiatric domain. Mm. What are we, how will that manifest? Depression, schizoid behavior, um, all sorts of... The, the potential is there for all sorts of disease states to emerge. And they've just, in my mind, they've just gone and made the whole situation infinitely more worse by gene transfecting that spike protein. Uh, let's see. There's a recent study that reflects on lymphatic system. Before 2012, it was presumed the brain was not connected to the lymphatic system. Yeah, I mean, that, that shows how much um, that we've... We still have to learn about the biology. And, you know, the... The lymphatic system of the brain becomes always activated, especially during sleep. And again, I would I would say if you if you're finding yourself in a position where you're in these states, again the younger younger side, find ways to improve the quality of your sleep. 
and don't don't be you know if you need medical help for that it's not a, it's not a sign of weakness to get treated for it otherwise you'll just make things worse that's that simple hey big boy put some That's great having kids, like having a uh, personal bottler to you. I, I wish that I wish they would just stay this age. <laughs> hmm? You did it. It's a great. Yes, I did so. <laughs> Thank you, big. Oh, Daddy will tell you later. Oh, God. So, having and getting into discussions, my son obviously heard me talk about that we lost a child. He's just asked me. He didn't know. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Freeze them at that age, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Uh, let's see. Uh, somebody mentions a good article. What's the good article? Sleeping brain, harnessing the power of the glymphatic system through lifestyle choices. <laughs> there you go, folks. Please, read that paper. And again, for those who are impacted right now, um, listen to me. That is your route to restoring some quality of life. Sleep, sleep, sleep. Um, yeah, and look, I, I find melatonin, well, it, it's um, useful, I guess, um, but I don't know, my, uh, my brain's beyond just uh, melatonin supplementation. Let's see, so I think, I think we've kind of got the just there, right? So we're seeing, we, we're locating the areas where these um, proteins are being expressed and um, it's the areas that I've been pointing to for years now. And hopefully this, is, this paper has dragged on somewhat, but um, very detailed. So, okay, so again, towards the discussion. So um, I think I can do that. So we can get into the discussion because all, all all that talk was about this localization and pons medulla, basal ganglia, cere cerebral cortex, midbrain are the um, uh, areas which are putting out these peptides. 
All right, SARS-CoV-2 infection may lead to multiple brain insults, although such neurological complications may be complex and exhibit high variability, range in severity, and produce distinct long-term pathologies. The specific mechanism underlying neurological manifestations of infection are not known, but may be attribu attributable to a direct viral impact on brain tissue or indirect effects on the brain mediated by local or systemic changes in regulatory immune factors. NHP model systems provide powerful platforms for CNS research to permit, to permit the study of pathological disease interactions and cognitive function, as well as identify and develop effective therapeutic strategies. NHP CSF has been valuable in translational neurobiological research where studies have characterized how CSF biomarker levels change in NHP models of disease, establish NHP CSF as a significant biofluid to investigate neurogenerative I think that should be neurodegenerative. Uh, neurodegenerative diseases relevant to humans. Since NHPs are evolutionary and anatomically close to humans, they are also considered a good model to investigate neurohistopathological findings associated with COVID-19. Further, the ability to collect and analyze CSF from NHP COVID-19 models at known times after infection, regardless of disease severity, provides critical insight into CNS pathogenesis that cannot be readily captured from human subjects. Notably, our two aged NHP COVID-19 models exhibited marked neuroinflammation, microhemorrhages, and neuronal injury consistent with neuropathology reported in autopsy studies of individuals who died from infection. Here we extend on earlier findings by investigating molecular changes in CSF from the same animals analyzed in our previous study to evaluate the overall CNS changes that occur following SARS-CoV-2 infection. Results of our studies suggest that CSF proteomic changes reflect pathophysiological changes in the brain, as well as systemic changes that may act on the brain to promote these changes. Anti-mortem CSF was collected three to four weeks post-infection, at which time all rhesus had lower bronchial brush viral loads than the African green monkeys. CSF proteome dysregulation, however, were detected in most animals, including those that developed relatively low viral loads, mild symptoms, and respiratory findings. This is in line with several reports that have shown evidence of the development of cognitive disorders in individuals after asymptomatic or mild COVID-19 cases. Based on our results, RMs or rhesus appear to be a more useful model for the study post-recovery neurological effects of COVID-19 since half of the AGMs developed ARDS and did not reach the study endpoint. Well, um, the thing is, both seem to be important, right? Why, um, why is the African green monkey developing ARDS and the macaques not? That'll be that, uh, what should we say? <laughs> The race targeting that's built in, <coughs> baked in, I just think. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's see. That. This was reflected in the divergence of their CSF proteomics results from the African monkeys that survived study completion, which revealed a similar number of DEPs that produced strikingly different patterns. 
the more heterogeneous COVID-19 disease severity and outcomes observed in African versus rhesus macaques may reflect genetic and environmental differences since African monkeys were wild-caught and housed at the centre for 10 months before study assignment, unlike rhesus that were all captive-bred at the centre. All NHPs in both groups were deemed clinically healthy and SARS-CoV-2 antibody and virus prior to study enrolment, but the potential greater genetic diversity of the AGM group coupled with their individual environmental and disease exposures could explain the greater variability in their results. An analysis of CSF collected from a small cohort of ICU patients at the start of the pandemic convincingly detected differences between patients with and without COVID-19. However, this study analysed a small group of critically ill ICU patients, most of whom, 5%, 6 of 8, died a median 40.5 days after hospitalisation following a COVID diagnosis and were prone to underlying comorbidities. Notably, SARS-CoV-2 virus could be detected in the CSF of almost all of these patients, indicating that CSF proteomic changes are directly associated with CNS invasion. A study using in vitro models, including brain organoids, and another study on human brain imagery have reported CNS invasion by SARS-CoV-2. Um, sorry, I lost. William, you've filled Daddy's cup up. No. <laughs> The old, uh, old dog's throat's getting dry and the butler's not working. <laughs> Good boy, thank you. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so we've got the brain organoids and another study on human brain imagery have reported CNS invasion by SARS-CoV-2. Unlike results from our and other studies that did not or rarely detected SARS-CoV-2 in the brain, even in severely ill patients. Thus, our results indicate that CSF changes occur in COVID-19 cases with no evidence of CNS invasion. Again, I would, um, you, you might just have a very, very small reservoir that um, could be causing this. And... The, the most obvious place is that um, the olfactory bulb, right? And the, the simple fact is, this, here's a little uh, inside uh, secret for you from the neuroscience world. Um, unless you're specifically looking at the olfactory bulb, it's always left in, right? When you When you're removing the brain. You sort of cut through the olfactory nerves and it, it stays in place and gets put in the trash. <laughs> so I just wonder if, um, well, they say olfactory region, but it may just, they may just be talking about cortical regions. But it, it may be that it, it's olfactory bulb is the reservoir and, and that's, that's essentially central nervous system. So keep that in mind. <laughs> Thus, our results indicate yeah, yeah, uh, differentially expressed CF, CSF proteins of both RMs and AGMs were associated with similar functional and biochemical pathways, although there was little overlap among the DEPs, 
connected in each group. These included pathways associated with neuroinflammation, including ones related to progressive neurological disorders, progressive encephalopathy, chronic fatigue syndrome, tauopathy, degranulation of platelets, and phagocytes. These findings are in line with previous studies that have shown neuroinflammation in autopsy studies of patients who died of COVID-19, as evident from our dysregulated biochemical pathways, such as axon guidance, cytoskeleton remodeling, gap junction trafficking, and extracellular matrix remodeling in CSF was also reported by molecular alterations revealed by another study on recess macaques that showed similar dysregulated pathways in the infected lung and liver. Severe COVID-19 is reported to be associated with multi-organ damage, but studies also indicate that neurological complications can occur in patients with mild or asymptomatic infection. We found that CSF protein changes associated with neurological pathways involve proteins that were preferentially enriched in specific regions of the brain, including the cerebral cortex and sections of the deep brain and brain stem. However, other brain regions, hippocampus, amygdala, and cerebellum may exhibit injury responses not detected by our CSF-DEP mapping approach, particularly if infection alters their relative expression of these proteins or these regions exhibit dysregulation of other proteins that do not enter the CSF. Studies have shown that the brainstem is highly prone to damage from pathologic immune and or vascular injury responses observed in COVID-19 cases of autopsy, while other studies have detected enhanced inflammatory and immune responses in the cerebral cortex and hemorrhages within the basal ganglia. The previous study using the same COVID-19 NHP model observed brain hypoxia after infection. In our study, we found ferritin was significantly upregulated in the CSF and various regions of infected RMs. And again, this, this points to um, iron dysregulation and you want a fingerprint of an old aging brain um it's it's the hypo meaning just meaning it's dark regions in you know areas like the cerebellar nuclei and the basal ganglia when when those start turning hypo intense that's an aged brain and you have to think about well this this type of environmental assault as a um, yeah, you know, you're getting aged physiologically. Who would want that? Eh? <laughs> Meaning, you know, that that would be that would be a desirable outcome. Are you beyonds? God, beyonds! Hurry up and shuffle off this mortal coil. <laughs> You're taking up too much of our air, and uh, we want that beef. You're not allowed to eat it. Uh, let's see. It's uh, my place. I'm getting tired. <laughs> this is a long, complex paper, so sorry. Sorry if it's uh, if I'm skipping a little bit. Record it. Yeah, brainstem. How the bro? Yeah, did that. Um, studies have shown that the brainstem. Yeah, did that. Uh, while others have detected enhanced inflammatory immune response, did that, and hemorrhages within the basal ganglia. The previous study using the same COVID nineteen NHP model observed brain hypoxia after infection. In that, yeah, ferritin. We did that. 
increased ferritin expression in brainstem and CSF of infective RMs was thought to reflect elevated iron levels resulting from microhemorrhages and caused brain cause brain hypoxia. By contrast, the cerebellum appears to be subject to less damage than other regions of the brain, with fewer individuals demonstrating lesions in the cerebellum and brain stem or cerebral cortex. CSF protein composition is also influenced by contributions from proteins that cross the vasculature, and a similar analysis for proteins that were enriched in plasma versus brain tissue identified multiple functional and biochemical pathways associated with hemostasis and the innate immune system that could all influence brain microhemorrhages and neuroinflammation. Several studies have previously suggested that blood-based protein signatures associated with neuropathological disorders could be used to accelerate the development of disease-modifying treatments. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, we'll see. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is where, and again, it's this double-edged sword, right? Because maybe, maybe with you know, the transfection technologies that they may find new and improved treatments for this but again that that should be down to the individual and the doctor and you should be having a discussion about the risks versus benefits and you know it's it's a huge area of neuroscience research for um how how to get molecules or treatment modalities across the blood-brain barrier and the simple fact is is that those lipid nanoparticles do do that and you know if there was you know if there was a way to synthetically make like the growth not growth or, or the cytokine signaling that comes from stem cells for example Right. And you, you, you could wrap those up in, in a clean fashion so that they're not, they're not polluted with <laughs> plasmids and that, that type of nonsense. And you were able to, um, I don't know, like spray it up your nose or something and get it, get it into the central nervous system that way. I don't know. You know, I, I'm, in, in my mind, I, I struggle to see why it's so hard to make a vesicle that isn't toxic, right? It, it's, to me, the, the chemistry should be fairly simple, but they don't, I don't know, there's this... Why, why the, why the issue with? I, I guess, I guess it comes down to like structural stability and the environment in which you, uh, in, in which you keep it, and and so that's that's maybe why they look for these m more complex lipid nanoparticles. I don't, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm too long out of the field to have an insight. Okay. So our CSF MMP2 data agree with high CSF MMP2 levels associated with viral encephalitis caused by varicella zoster virus, West Nile virus, and HIV. 
Ah, imagine that. Color me not surprised. We observed an overall increase increase in CSF MMP2 expression suggestive of neuroinflammation in infected NHPs, but did not observe histopathologic or other evidence of encephalitis. This was supported by CD163 expression detected in deep brain structures where immunopositivity was restricted perivascular macrophages without infiltration into the parenchyma and was not upregulated in the parenchymal microglia. Some studies have detected encephalitis associated with SARS-CoV-2 infection, but this is infrequently observed compared to other neurological manifestations such as altered mental state encephalopathy. Protein-protein interaction analysis suggests that significantly altered CSF proteins of infected rhesus and African monkeys that are preferentially enriched either in brain tissue or blood are involved in innate immunity and hemostasis, including platelet degranulation and coagulation, and are in agreement with the results of a previous study that found that these pathways were dysregulated in the lung tissue of SARS-CoV-2 infected Cinemogulus macaques in early infection. And, it, and again, this, this just leads into the premise of, of SARS-CoV-2 being this disseminated systemic coagulopathy. Um, yes, GDL or factory bulb goes straight into that limbic system. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll keep trying to tell you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, it seemed, <laughs> they've, they've put results in their discussion, but anyway, let's keep cracking on. We're nearly at the end. This may suggest immunothrombosis in which hyperactivating the immune system and dysregulating the hemostatic pathway can produce severe damage to distinct brain regions in response to infection, since we rarely detected evidence of significant SARS-CoV-2 RNA in brain tissue of our NHPs. This is supported by a recent study that observed deposits of immune complexes on the surface of damaged endothelial cells in the brains of COVID-19 patient, even in the absence of virus in the brain. Understanding how SARS-CoV-2 infection provokes brain injury may help inform the development of therapies for 19 patients who have lingering neurological symptoms. Patients often develop neurological complications with COVID-19, but the underlying pathophysiological process is not well understood. And again, it's not well understood because it's so multidimensional and it's very difficult to pin on down on one thing. And that's... Um, it's a thing that I keep seeing again and again and again, just retarded binary thinking that um, locks people into little ideological boxes. Kui, for example. Mm. All right. So where was I? Enhancing innate immunity has been proposed as a means to flatten the COVID-19 curve since dysregulated immune responses can reduce the ability to detect antigens, blunt the healing process and delay recovery from COVID-19. In our study, we also extend these findings by showing dysregulated innate immune proteins, E5, C9, CFD, that were also associated with neuroinflammation. This study indicates that CSF protein changes detected in NHPs with asymptomatic COVID-19 but mild to severe CNS and pulmonary pathology were associated with functional and biochemical pathways related to progressive neurological conditions, thrombus formation, innate immunity, and cellular infiltration. 
Based on our findings, it's tempting to speculate that some of these significantly altered CSF proteins or their associated pathways could serve as promising therapeutic targets to prevent or attenuate neurological pathologies that are frequently associated with even mild COVID-19 cases. Again, this point, you don't, you don't have to get flawed with acute respiratory distress syndrome to begin manifesting the neurological problems. And they've gone, that, and again, this is, this is where it looks so deliberate, that they've gone and taken a lipid nanoparticle, expressed the whole sequence with all these epitopes of concern when they know they know it would go into the brain and trigger these types of responses. And the thing is, you need some bloody sophisticated equipment and approaches to be able to detect it. You ain't picking this up by doing a um, blood draw from people. GDL says, Japanese panty vending machine producers know all about the old factory bulb complex. <laughs> oh, you know what, dude? I've been here 14 years. <laughs> I ain't ever seen one of those machines. Ever. <laughs> oh, dear, I oh dear. You made me, you broke my concentration now. Um, where was I? Uh, yeah, so mild, even mild COVID cases can lead. And again, the problem is that once these cascades are initiated, the, the protein misfolding cascades, we don't, we don't have good ways of um, dealing with that. And yes, there are systems in the brain that are there to deal with proteins that misfold that's the glymphatic system so again um this the sleeping brain um looks a interesting article um i might give it the one maybe i'll even do a stream about this because i like i say if, if i if i had to point to one one thing that you you know will help rest and sleep so, you know, I've got so many neuroscience articles backed up right now at the moment. Uh, I don't know if I'll next week, maybe. Um, so this weekend, uh, I, I think I might stream with Nick. And I also said, um, I know Chris wants to do a stream for his show. So I think my weekend will be taken up with that. Um, but next week... Maybe, maybe, maybe I could do like a neuroscience of sleep. I mean, because there's some, you know, fascinating electrophysiology that that goes on with um, sleep. And you know, what 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 could that mean for brain states and? Um, The implications of sort of dreaming and that type of thing. <sighs> yeah.
licks bills. You don't pay me enough to do neuroscience all the time. Donate harder. Uh, These findings could aid in interpretation of research studies underway for long-term neurological consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, basically, you're going to get to the end, and it's just give us more money for more research. Um, So I think, again, very, very, very interesting paper. Um, There's a bunch of studies that have come from Tulane and this this cohort of monkeys. Um, And if I... How would I encapsulate today's stream? Well, we've, we've, we've discussed so much, and the well, sleep. Yeah, <laughs> just come sleep, rest, and if if that doesn't work for you, right? And please, please try all the more natural type approaches before you step into the pharmaceutical world but if the if the i don't know health health store vitamins and supplements are not helping you i would say there's there's no shame in going and getting help and when interacting with your medical practitioner, you should be thinking about trying to augment sleep and the, depending on how, if you have myalgia, et cetera, and um, neuropathic type pain, um, trying to get on top of that. And, you know, my, from my own experience, you know, as a, as a day-to-day medication, if you're in a bad way, amyltriptyline, it's cheap. Um, you don't have to take high doses of it. I wish I could speak to low dose naltrexone. I don't. I can't. I've never tried it. But there's, that's also another option if you're sort of concerned about <coughs> using um, using something like a tricyclic uh, drug. Um, but the that that would be my well, that's my experience, and all I'm doing is relaying my experience. I'm not giving medical advice. Um, all right, I'll just finish up with the check. Oh, that's another uh, little donor there. You can have, sir, what can you have? A... Hmm. What's wrong with you? This, I'll do, uh, what's his face? That is me. Uh, I am a legit scientist. All published and she, she. Man, I've done some goofy stuff for this fucking stream. <laughs> oh, the, not this stream, but just in general, right? Just. Uh... All right. Uh, let's read this. Did that? Did that? Um, the glimp system. Give me the Hector Salamanca wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh man, who said that? Good doggy. 
Bravo, sir. Man, that's uh, that's one thing we need to get onto uh, the old uh, WTYL servers. Uh, breaking bad. All right. Uh, let's see. Did that, did that. Uh, freeze them at that. Yeah, I did that. Um, uh, big boy looks like a good daddy. Thank you. Uh, oops and yes, freeze them in place. I noticed that even more when COVID started, but it's still going on the crazy, impulsive, distracted driving. Yeah. Um, look, there is, and again, it's it's one of these things that's going to be very, very difficult to quantify, right? You're going to have anecdotal experience. It's why I think that this this study, right, which has this global measure of activity, is so is stands out at me, leaps out at me. Okay, and <laughs> under most circumstances, I would say that, you know, life is tough if it finds a way and it'll get through and hopefully, you know, the if you've been impacted, then that's the reason that you have kids and though they'll go on and do the things that you were never able to, but you know, we're, we're suddenly entered this world where there's issues with fertility, there's um, these uh, complex assaults on the brain, and you know, we're still, still trying to tease through it. And <laughs> the, uh, crowning, uh, the crowning cherry on the turd that we're dealing with is the, the gene transfected everyone with these peptides of concern through a and like I say, I, I'm not buying that they didn't know. All right. Uh, let's see. The driving landscape is ridiculous. Noticed excessive slow driving, but yet erratic clown show, maybe. Honk. Uh, we learned to look at the face of the driver taking in the road on bikes. I went to see what he had for breakfast was the cry from the instructor. What I see scares me now, and it's not what they had for breakfast. I'm not sure I get that, but thank you, Josie. Uh, when they strap into their safe seat, do they simply switch off? Maybe. All right. Uh, all right. Another YouTube link. I'll play it, and then I'll get out of here. Get ready. Oops. Get ready for the next stream tomorrow. And there's a study from uh, Pastorius that's on the preprint servers that I want to have a look at. Uh, freeway phobia. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, for every benefit, there is a risk. Yes. Um, did that, did that. And yes, Josie, most people don't take their bed seriously enough. And that's what I'm going to go and do now, folks. I'm going to go and uh, lay down um, and uh, grab a rest. So thank you for listening in. Thank you for those that supported the stream today, especially Orlando, sir. Thank you. $100 dono. Woo! That's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's me. That's me set for the day. All right. Uh, I will um, call it quits there, and I will see you guys in the next one. Take care, and uh, don't let the COVID zombies bite, and uh, don't let... <laughs>
Don't let ideological spurgs uh, twist you up either. Right. See you in the next one. God bless. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I would be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these papers. I will fucking kill each fucking papa. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually playing. Fuck these papers. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever first you on fucking blood blood. Oh, 